right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number 75. Uh, uh, so we're going to do things a little bit different today. We're, we're going to do the pre-podcast recording. We're going to open with that. So yeah, uh, we got a special guest uh, with us here today, uh, Jesse Lamb. And uh, today we're, we're going to be talking about uh, anime OVAs of the 80s and 90s uh, with our, our special guest, an amazing artist and um yeah, uh, uh, Jesse, why don't you introduce yourself? And uh, like a lot of us, we're we're just meeting for <laughs> for the first time, so we're we're just doing this live right now. Wow! Yeah, uh, this is the first time meeting you guys for the first time in ever. Uh, <laughs> as for as for James, like the first time we met was like Otakon in what in what uh, two thousand fourteen. Oh dang! So, oh okay. Very that... very very long time. No, wow. see. Uh, my name is. Je- <laughs> exactly. Uh, my name is Jesse Lamb. I'm a principal concept artist at Brass Line Entertainment. I do concept design. I do cinematic storyboards, and uh, my uh, my career has been mostly just putting out fires. So I've been <laughs> known to wear a lot of hats. Got my start in comics, then moved on into doing commercial storyboards, music videos, the occasional TV pitch stuff. Uh, that never really went anywhere. And then I went into games, uh, which was fantastic because I love problem solving. Then uh, I did, I worked on a, a TV show called Invincible. And then oh. I'm back in games again. All right. Awesome. We're super excited to have you on. I, I, I've been following you online for, for ages now. Um, like, yeah, big, big fan of your art. Your artwork's amazing. Uh, well, by the way, uh, please let everyone know, like, uh, you know, how to follow you online, like what your your Twitter handle and, you know, just your favorite places to post your art. Of course. Uh, my two usual places are on Twitter. I am AXL99 on Twitter and on Instagram. I am Jesse Lamb Workshop. Cool. Yeah. Super exciting. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Um, well, so you you sort of know me, like we're we're like online friends. This is our first time like actually hearing each other's voices, though, <laughs> which is yeah. Uh, we've been just tweeting at each other very casually on yeah. and off for so long. So long, yeah. It's nuts. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, just quick intro. Uh, <laughs> Richmond it's 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 really nice to actually uh, properly make your acquaintance um yeah like I, I, we, we kind of already know each other um uh yeah uh, adam why don't you introduce yourself yeah radical um i'm adam uh yeah just uh i go by aj on twitter of course but also aj in real life sometimes yeah i'm a game designer level designer pixel artist and also an international type wonder fighter as well so yeah i've just done a lot of uh different things in those areas but most uh, most typically you'll find me just like either talking about different areas of life talking about training making some sprites every now and again and working on some personal projects too but yeah like it's really bad to have you on and honestly like it's so kind of it's so kind of interesting just because i've heard so many sort of thoughts and takes like from you about different areas of entertainment so it's just going to be fun getting uh getting this done and getting this sort of off the collective chest i suppose it'll be it'll be fun to hear what you've got to say about a bunch of stuff yeah i can't wait cool yeah hell yeah all right, uh, this is James Stanley. I'm the <laughs> resident fighting game expert at Art Eater, uh, also a uh, third strike teacher at the offices of Bidag. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, we've we've been am... getting some, some lessons from the School of Hard Knocks from James, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, don't ever play this guy. He'll beat you every time. <laughs> oh, God. So when I'm not, you know, teaching people how to play Third Strike, uh, I do character design work, storyboard work, uh, freelance illustration, and I also run a Patreon. Uh, that gives uh, in-depth tutorials to the craziness that my mind is when I draw. Um, so if you're interested in any of that stuff, you can actually follow that at Beefy Kunoichi. That's uh, patreon.com slash Beefy Kunoichi. Um, but I am super glad to have one of the legendary homies uh, here for the podcast. I have known her for so long. She's been such an inspiration. I have sung nothing but her praises about her work, her tenacity, and uh, how much she's inspired me for my own personal projects. So it is a pleasure to uh, have you here. Pleasure's mine, actually. I mean, I love hanging out with people who are just so knowledgeable and passionate about this very subject that we're talking about today. And it's such a weird, you have to be there to know it kind of situation that you yeah. know it feels a lot less isolating, if you will. Mm. Absolutely. absolutely 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 okay so shall we just jump right into it then yeah you know what let's just do it let's just let's just jump right in we're already here man okay yeah let's go let's go let's go okay so the subject today is uh anime ovas uh particularly those of the 80s and 90s and uh just real quick for the listeners uh you know if you don't know uh, ova stands for original video animation sometimes they're also called oavs original animation videos it's you know they're the same thing you can use whatever acronym you want but um they are uh, direct-to-video anime productions uh, that originated in the 80s, and uh, they're, they're just very, very uh, dear to my heart. There, there were so many uh, cool OVAs uh, back in the day, and it was a very special format uh, because it's, um, you know, like, well, gosh, why, why, why don't you guys describe it? I, I don't... <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, essentially... Uh, from what I remember, uh, you know, original video animation projects typically were another, like, quick way to promote, uh, like, a manga series, or it was something that was actually done to promote just new projects that had no, like, foundation uh, in terms of, like, a manga or anything, like, before it, and uh, usually just... You know, people got together with a considerable budget or sometimes maybe not even the biggest budget. And they still made things that were uh, just incredibly, like, beautiful. Uh, and it was almost, it was like a in-between in terms of budget quality, typically of, like, uh, like between what a TV series would be at a high quality or, like, something that you would see that seemingly felt like a movie budget. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh Okay, okay. As I recall, episodes for anime used to go on for roughly over 100 episodes, like regularly. Yeah. And the OVA format was sort of like, let's take a break and scope down because this is way too much fucking work. And it was a way for animators and creatives to sort of like condense um, the resources and focus on like a maximum of, say, two to 12 episodes of an original uh view animation and then just make something that they're proud to make you know yeah i, th I think what really Ooh. made it special was uh it, it was just so unconstrained by any um format conventions right like like you said like tv shows you know they air for half an hour meaning like you know with commercials 
commercial breaks they're like 20 some odd minutes and then there's a lot of pressure to make like you know 25 to 50 episodes every season uh that's an insane schedule right and then movies you know movies hopefully you get a bigger budget but you only have somewhere between um you know like 90 minutes to two hours sometimes even just one hour to tell the story but with ovas it's 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 wide open right because this was um uh, just to give some historical context, uh, I think the first OVA came out in 1983. It was called uh, Talos. It was directed by Mamoru Oshii, and uh, I think that's widely accepted as the very first OVA. Meaning that you know it wasn't something. It didn't air in theaters. Did air? It wasn't released in theaters. It didn't air on TV. It went straight uh, to video. And video itself, home video, was a new format back then, and um, it was a luxury format. So when that came out, that was like the early days of like VHS and beta. And like some movies cost like upwards of like $200 in 1980s money, if, if you can believe it, you know, that's per Oof. movie, right? And so, uh, you know, these things were for super hardcore fans. But if you can imagine like when one fan is paying like upwards of $200 per tape and that tape might only be like one episode, like... You could really cater stuff to like a niche uh, back then, so you you started to see stuff that it didn't need to be like really populist, right? It, and also it didn't need to uh, constrain itself to like uh, broadcast standards or even um, even theatrical standards, because the, the, alongside OVA, some of the earliest OVA stuff was a hentai stuff too. So like it, you just saw stuff go like wow, like into <laughs> directions that you couldn't do um, anywhere else. Um, and as James mentioned earlier, like a lot of anime uh, before this was adapted from manga. And, you know, certainly some OVAs were, but actually that very first OVA was an original story. And probably a lot of the ones we're going to talk about today, they were original productions that um, just, you know, otherwise would have been impossible to do uh, as TV or, 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 you know, a theatrical release. Yeah. So really special format. <laughs> I was just having a think, I think uh, myself earlier as well, and like some of the, the kind of earliest, I guess, introductions for myself, and like not just anime itself, but just like specifically thinking about like OVAs. Like it was kind of odd just because like you don't really sort of think about it in terms of what it is that you are watching like when you're a kid. So, for example, like mm -hmm. I watch, I, yeah, I watch really early on just some really kind of like odd little bits and pieces i saw different bits of like wicked city like cut up and like put onto different like music videos and stuff like that like i saw early clips of like robot carnival type stuff like i've seen like hella different clips of like angel egg angel's egg type stuff mm. like i i i experienced this in a kind of like um in a really weird hodgepodge like youtube animation kind of like mixture because like wow. a lot of the way that i actually that actually was around there i started really getting onto the internet properly in like 040506 when i was like a really little kid back then and like it kind of blew my mind as to what it was that i was looking at but i didn't necessarily even know like what one one ova was at the time do you know what i mean so just yeah. like just looking at it through that context it kind of changes how it is that you appreciate anime distribution and how that has been changed specifically due to like accessibility too i think it's just it's really cool that we get to have this discussion today and sort of like pay homage almost to the ways in which people have made that possible if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah hey let's let's get into like what was the first ova that you saw um damn that's actually like gosh that's mad like probably one of the okay probably one of the first things like that like, i ever saw was probably either hmm 
It might it might have been just like clips of like either Wicked City or like Cyber City uh, 080808, oh, or nice. it might have yeah it, just like just a, a bajillion clips all, all all the way through probably like some Vampire Hunter type stuff. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, Jesse, what about you? Like, what what was the first OVA that you can recall? You know, and oh and my it, god, that's such a hard question. Um, Megazone twenty three maybe, mm. um, or maybe even the City Hunter OVAs. There were a ton of those. Oh dang! But they were more like movies. Well, how did you get? How did you get your hands on those? Well, I didn't exactly get my hands on those. More like um, there was um, all these Chinese, well, Cantonese-speaking mom and pop Mm -hmm. rental shops. Oh yeah, where I usually got most, if not all, of my media for kung fu films to Chinese TV shows to anime, which was dubbed in Cantonese. So awesome! uh, That was that was fantastic. Um, It was like it was like being in a playground. It was just that good. It was better than us. Blockbuster, sorry, yeah. but we just we just had better selections, I guess. Hell yeah! So <laughs> there was what, what there city? So many... What city were you in to to have right. access? Right, I was that. born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, basically the import scene was just really really huge because people were just homesick for things that um, that kind of reminded them of their own community because. Mm-hmm cable tv was at the time for my family was just way too expensive and i didn't get into it until high school so until then it was just the normal default uh, tv stations that just came with the purchase of a very cheap tv okay mm. okay oh, oh wait, wait. Uh, can can you hold that thought for a second we we have sean joining us oh, hello. hey, hey sean we, we just started recording um do we i i could put this on pause and then we could maybe uh put up the clean feed and get right back into it Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah sorry. Uh, I, I was. I realized I was telling AJ in chat. Um. I. I. My internet wasn't working. I couldn't figure out. Was I was like doing down detector, and I was like, I was like, no, what's going on? Really, right now. And then it turns out that my cat knocked over the router. <laughs> yeah. Classic <laughs> oh, stuff. Man. Yeah. Cool. And we're back. Okay. Um. All right. Sean just joined us. Uh, Sean. Um. I believe. Uh, this is your first time well, uh, meeting Jesse, so um, let's do a quick uh, introduction, and then we'll we'll get right right back into the meat of the uh, podcast. Uh, yes, hello, I'm Sean. I'm usually here, um, except when my cat knocks over my router, um, which is what happened <laughs> today. Um, so, uh, tip for everybody: check to see if your cat knocked over your router instead of calling the internet company. Anyway. Um, I'm a UX director, creative director, um, worked with Richmond in, uh, in the past on games, uh, worked at Blizzard Entertainment, uh, now I'm at NZXT, I lead the design teams there, and uh, I will mostly talk about UX UI, except not with uh, OVAs, because they don't have UX UI, but maybe they do. Whoa. Oh, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so Jesse, you were, you were talking about um, yeah, growing up in Toronto and being able to rent uh, anime from from the uh, Chinese uh, rental shops, video rental shops, and uh, yeah, and then we were talking about yeah, just what are our first yeah first OVA. So so you 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 rented uh, anime on VHS, right? Pro- was it like dubbed, like 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 kind of like a, a it was, second uh, it was generation transfer? Dubbed- Right. It was mostly dubbed in Cantonese, so definitely like a, oh, wow. okay. a second generation transfer. But I was also able to rent 
laser discs at the time. Whoa. Whoa. That, that was crazy. Tech. That's amazing. That wow. was super it was super crazy. Um and it came in handy like for some uh, other OVAs like RG Vita. So it was wow. I was able to watch that in super mega high quality. It was beautiful. That's crazy. Wow. Well, you were living in the digital age way before uh, just about everyone else. It was very short. It was a very short-lived digital age until we had VCDs and DVDs and Blu-ray, but that took way too long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, VCDs were real big in uh, the Hong Kong scene. Uh, I, oh, I remember, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Any any Chinatown in the U.S. and also Canada, from my limited experience, you were able to find uh, VCDs back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that um, I, I had a similar experience like growing up in the U.S. Um, in the D.C. area, uh, we would go to a Chinese supermarket and in the back they would have all these uh, VHS tapes that they would, you know, they, they would get videos from abroad and then just make copies of them. Um, and it was mostly Chinese movies, uh, but like occasionally you might find an anime like uh, Tekaman Blade or, you know, something like that. But uh, mm -hmm. it, it was for me, it was mostly a live action yeah. And, and yeah, for me, like OVAs were, um, gosh, that was like something real special. I didn't even know what they were. Like, I, I just knew sometimes like the animation quality was really high and there were like fewer episodes of the series. Um, but, uh, you know, like I, I saw like early stuff that, that was officially released in the U.S. or like, you know, like, like fan sub stuff that, uh, you know, we might like find at a comic book shop, something like that. Yeah. Um, gosh, James, James, why don't you talk about like, what, what was the first OVA you saw? What was your first experience there? Man, I, I think when, uh, you were, I think when you were born many moons ago, like some of us in here, it, it gets kind of garbled in terms of like how much you actually were watching that was anime and what was an OVA and what was like a TV series that just happened to have a good budget or but I think if I really pare it down, the first OVA that I saw officially was Devil Hunter Yoko. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Like, that was the oh, first wow. OVA that I, that I watched. And I, I remember this specifically because I remember a friend of mine, uh, we were in, like, middle school, actually. And uh, after oh, school, like, we were, we were such dorks. We would finish our homework during lunch. So we would have extra Aww. time to play like video games, like when we got home. So oh, that's um, awesome. Like, that's just efficiency. Like, that isn't being a dork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's smart. So do, smart. Yeah, that's good so, time. So what we would do typically is we would either play like if I got a new game, I would bring it to his house, or if he had a new game, I would just come to his house, and we would just play. So we were playing a lot of like Darius Twin and like Rival Turf, and then one day his mom like took us to the video store. And we were just like walking around and we we knew like stuff looked cool, but we didn't really know like, oh, that's anime. Like we were just like, that looks cool. Let's watch it. And he picked it up and it was weird because at the time you would think something like Devil Hunter Yoko, like someone would be like, you, these kids can't watch this. But uh, <laughs> no one really cared. And his mom was kind of like carefree about stuff like you know, so she was just like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, you wanted to rent this thing? Oh, okay, fine. You know, so, you know, we, we we go back and, you know, she's making dinner for us and we're just watching this. And like, 
both of us are just mind blown at how like cool it is. And like, you know, we're just like, oh my God, like there's boobs and fighting and this is so cool, whatever. And like, it was weird because I knew what anime was before then, but I had never seen an OVA. So like, I, I just remember like, damn, the quality on this is insane. This reminds me of Robotech, but just better budget, yes. better everything. And uh, I was just like, damn, this is fucking cool. And then that's around the time where the Japanimation sort of branding was kind of like being pushed around. Like, like everything was just like, oh, this isn't your, your, your grandma's anime. It was like really weird branding. <laughs> um, but that was the first OVA that I saw. And, um, you know, from that point, I was just like, wow, like animation can be even better than what I thought it was. Because before then, I saw a lot of like, you know, openings for like Bionic 6 that obviously was done by like Japanese studios. And like, you know, so I knew that there was good animation quality for at least like, I don't know, a minute. But like to see something that was given a lot more dedication that was like multiple episodes was like such a treat. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh man, that's a great one. That's the perfect age to watch it. <laughs> Devil Hunter Yoke. Yeah, I would true. never show that. Yeah. I would never ever show that to a middle schooler. But I also remember being a middle schooler, and that's like exactly what I would have wanted <laughs> to see. If it makes you feel any better, I watched Akira when I was like six years old. So. Oh wow! God, that was wow. terrifying. <laughs> And uh, and then somehow somewhere along the way, my parents managed to like rent Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and Child's Play and Predator. No, and I'm like, since, and then after that, I just became really uh, de uh, desensitized to just a lot of really edgy shit. And I'm like, you know what? Nope. I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. That and that's okay. just over the edginess yet. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right. So, so did your parents rent Akira and show that to you? Like, how did you uh, see it? They just, they just literally just rented it for me, and I'm like, because they just never really thought much of it, really. That's wild. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I would also choose things as well, which is how okay. I ended up with like Yoma, which is uh, not exactly what you would want to show oh, somebody who's like six Lord. or seven years old, because. Um, gore and other that stuff, but yeah, series, yeah, it's it's a bleak series. But I was too young to fully like absorb the implications of everything until I watched it on YouTube. So mm. <laughs> it nice. was sad. It was so yeah. sad. Um, yeah, Ch Chinese parents in the in the eighties and nineties. It's uh, I, I had a similar experience. Uh, the first movie I saw in the theater was RoboCop because. Uh, my dad and I, both of us wanted to see it. <laughs> I was five years old, yeah. and it was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, it's wow, still terrifying really? as an adult, you know? The Robocop, oh. like, it I remember the third intense. movie for some strange reason. <laughs> oh, the third oh. one. Was that the one in Japan with, like... They had the, the ninjas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also remember yeah. the one where it's, like, there was this kid who was a drug lord. It, it's That's Robocop 2. That was part okay. two with yeah. Cool. That was yeah. the drug addicted robot. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This yeah, sounds wild. A, lot, a lot of stop motion. <laughs> you know what's funny, man? Like I didn't see RoboCop one in theaters, but my dad was like super excited to like watch it, and like he literally waited for my mom to be gone. And he was like, "Hey, look, we're gonna watch <laughs> RoboCop. Don't say shit to your mom, and like there's gonna be blood." 
there's gonna be stuff in this but like you're gonna be okay it's cool and we're gonna watch it and it was like one of my favorite movies i was like i think i was seven and i was just like totally blown away um by everything that was in that movie i was quoting that movie like inappropriately it was great um (laughs) that's but that's great uh, that he prepared you for it right he he warned you gave you a warning he's like yeah he gave his own yeah (laughs) yeah he was like son you're about to walk into a world of awesome and i'm gonna lead the way he did the same thing for aliens so you know i had that sort of synergy between those types of movies and like seeing ovas and seeing sort of like the cross-pollination of like american influence on like sci-fi anime at the time so it was a really interesting uh time to be for me yeah and and vice versa by the way uh uh, paul verhoeven when he was doing robocop um he he there's interviews where he was saying like oh i was reading a lot of manga back then and um Robocop is inspired by Tokusatsu stuff. Like they're very open about that. It's it's all a really interesting back and forth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so Weebs just wasn't a Weebs in Hollywood wasn't like a, like a thing in the past couple decades, but it was like from the very beginning. It was literally oh, totally. baked in. Wow. Yeah, yeah even yeah. Star Wars, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. right. Oh, yeah. been back and forth. I'm internally cringing. I should have gotten that from day one, but yeah, okay. I yeah. believe it. Yeah. All right. So Jesse, you, you mentioned um, you, you mentioned a couple things that might have been the first OVA that you saw. But do you, do you, do you recall what might have been like the, or at least the one, the first one that you remember pretty vividly? Mega Zone Twenty Three, definitely. Oh wow. Okay. Whoa. Part so, one so, and two. Oh dang. So can can you like set the stage for us? Like how old were you? And like you know what did it feel like like watching this thing? Um, I was like probably like eight to ten years old. I was sitting okay. in a basement, probably full of asbestos underneath a hair salon, oh, which was God. probably not very healthy at all. But it was basically wow. How my parents were were able to like I mean, owned a business and they needed to run it, and I was way too young to start working in a hair salon. So in the basement I go. Uh, <laughs> So I was watching this really overly mature anime that was uh, about uh, that had like a similar leanings to Macross kind of sort of, but not really. But it was like visually, like, yeah, for sure, yeah, exactly. Like you had the dude on the bike, and you had the AI singer, and you had the girlfriend, and then uh, and then you had like the whole cyberpunk thing where people just didn't agree with how cities were run. Um, it was, if I remember correctly, I, it might have been an anthology as well. Um, but like to young me, it was just my brain was just fixated on like the the shooting scenes on the motorbikes because it takes so much coordination. And I remember everything being super mega violent. I remember uh, wires exploding out of bodies because the AI finally went rogue. Uh, and then I remember everybody coming out of the explosion and then looking upon green trees and blue skies and an earth finally at peace. That was mm. what I remember about it. Wow. So I, I, I bet you were already like probably pretty artistically inclined by that age, right? Like I'm sure you love drawing and stuff. Yeah. yeah, my mom went as far as to buy me like an anime magazine and it was just like, I don't know, roughly 20, 30 pages uh, stapled together, but she also gave me tracing paper so I could like 
so I could do traces, wow. traceovers of uh, Huga from uh, Saint Seiya. And uh, <laughs> that's that was, so cool. That was how young me that's learned awesome. how to clean line art at a very young age before that's animation. Awesome. <laughs> oh my goodness. That into me. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so cool that, that your mom encouraged that too. No, no, she didn't. No, like uh, she was, she, but when it, she cracked the whip. So, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, uh, the the whole art career thing was separate, but like in terms oh, of okay. just indulging my general interest in entertainment, like she was kind of like hands off ish. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I always think it's kind of funny the way that that happens at times. Like, you know, you, you can be given something that will, in essence, be your future occupation or at least a part of it, or could at least provide the skills to, you know, facilitate growth in that line of work. But like, it's also just like playing it's also fun because it's something that kids just do i think it's just so cool that we at the very least can like make some of those inroads in a positive and like memorable way because i mean like just watching some of this now I, I have not seen anything of megazone 23 apart from a couple of like gifs on twitter and stuff like that but just watching this now like yeah like this could absolutely be something that i could picture like a young kid just really vibe into and like enjoying like it's 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 nice to think about that it's good stuff yeah Oh, and f fun fact about Megazone. I, I don't want to spoil too much, but it, it almost certainly inspired The Matrix. There are some huge, huge similarities uh, between the two, if, if, if you watch them. And, you know, the Wachowskis, they were uh, definitely big anime fans uh, back in the day. Yeah, the DBZ was definitely the most, the, the, the biggest influence that I saw personally. But, uh, yeah, it was... Yeah. Seeing the Matrix There's... was basically like it's like seeing in real life anime for the first time, and I think that's like the the appeal for a lot of people. Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. Something even as simple as like having pseudo Kawajiri shots of like shells hitting the ground, like seeing <laughs> that actually filmed in real life had such a different like uh, cinematic texture for people. So yeah. Oh no, that that was straight out of Ghost in the Shell when she's fighting the yeah. tank and she ejects. yeah. Yeah, the casing yeah. and it goes into the water and it sizzles. Um, the Wachowskis, they they literally uh, took the recently released Ghost in the Shell uh, animated film and 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 sh showed uh, potential producers. They were like, "We're going to do this in live action." That's literally how they sold and got you know got funding for the Matrix. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, anime. Yeah. His influence <laughs> back and forth. Well, at least the Wachowskis were far more honest about it than. Say, oh, totally. Yeah. Aronofsky. Oh my God. Oh, when when oh, he ripped off David, David, like <laughs> Satoshi Khan. Do we want to oh, get really. into it? I don't know. I kind of feel like I want to get into it and get it out of our systems before we. Let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's because just get it because out of you don't, way. you can't just like copy shots and then say it no. was an homage. You know, like it was one yep. thing for the Wachowski to, say, to like say that we're doing exactly this. Like they're not even yeah. hiding it, right? They cool. don't. Yeah, yeah. They're not it's, taking it's like, credit for it. Yeah. And, and and it's like people who've seen Perfect Blue will will know. Like, Joe, you know, it, it it's not as if like you could do that and then like have absolutely no one in the world have any idea what's going on. Especially with respect to the internet's ability to dig things up and just like proliferate that. Like, it's not like you could just get off kind of scot free with that. It's very it's a very odd thing. It's very very strange. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, like I feel like oh, um uh, because these. Uh, Hollywood filmmakers keep stealing Japanese filmmaker techniques. I feel like animation, anime as a whole, should get a lot more respect 
from professional filmmakers yes. specifically because oh, yeah. of the choices they've yeah. made. Like these are important things to acknowledge, like credit where credit is due. Hello. Totally. Absolutely. I was going to mention this, this definitely has links to like the kind of live action boom craze of the last decade, especially mm. with, with respect to the ways in which people are very specifically sort of like utilizing so many very popular IPs and being like, okay, we're going to make like a live action version of this now. And then when it doesn't quite do anywhere near as well or have the same type of a cultural impact or shift as the original works did, they're like, wait a minute, but why? That's so weird. But we just made it more accessible, right? And it's like, it's not like that. It, there's so much more to be said well, and done about like the way in which anime portrays different like emotional moods different themes the context of different scenarios and situations like not to say that, like every single live action thing would be terrible just because but there are certain marks that like get missed like a lot and there's a lot of like nuance and context in there that can't be portrayed in the same way it's even like just you know the general adaptation of manga to an animated format it needs to be done in a very specific way you know you need to be able to pay attention to different again new nuances and bits of context that exist page to page that you might not be able to translate so find a way to bring that sentiment through into you know actual sort of reality find character actors that can deal with that that, that lack of nuance there and build something new from essentially you know nothing i think that's a really important thing that people are sort of like missing especially now on the on the eve of you know the uh, one of the biggest one piece you know a live action that's about to come out like all that stuff and on the heels of the Cowboy Bebop uh, discourse regarding that um, live action uh, uh, unfortunate uh, instance, uh, let's say. But yeah, I, I just think that there's a lot to be said about that whole subject there. Although I, I will say, <laughs> when you're talking about the Wachowskis, you have to also talk about films like Speed Racer, which uh, yeah, is, it is was a whole a yep. thing to talk about that I yep. think uh, maybe they, they actually did, I think, try to adapt adapt it in a... I don't, I don't want to say like a respectful way, but a loving way, and it, it it basically became a cult classic. But most people were like, "What the hell am I watching?" I, I think people are coming around on that one, just because it. Yeah, it was I, I don't get me wrong. I'm actually a, like a guilty pleasure lover of Speed Racer, but I feel like I went back and watched like reviews of the time for, from it. Oh, people hated it at the time. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, people were like, "What is this yeah. insane nonsense?" And it's like, well, uh, actually, that that film is good enough at doing anime stuff that i've actually seen edits of it where people edit anime music over like the the shots and they kind of work better actually than the than the music that's actually in the film oh uh, yeah no, i i i went into that film kind of like ready to be a hater you know and then i watched <laughs> yeah. it i was like hey this is actually it's actually very sincere and it had a yep. really that that climax was really cool it's like, a very it ridiculous a premise message. right but you have to yeah. commit to it right yeah yeah they committed because if you just it. Yeah, if you, if you half-ass it, people are going to tell from a glance. And it, you want something that polarizes at the very least. Uh, but, you know, you don't want something to just not grab people's attention. And I believe, and I think it's a good thing that people are revisiting their opinions on Speed Racer as a whole. Because as a yeah. piece of filmmaking, it's colorful, it's frenetic. It's like a, it's like a visualization of somebody who's on ADHD. <laughs> I, I, every time i watch it uh I, I actually have that that thought i'm like wow how did they direct the special effects for this like like how like how I, i'm just trying to imagine like how they got in, like okay so it's gonna look like this and they were like it's gonna what and it's like okay just imagine it's gonna and you're like okay i'm not i'm not really following you but i mean the way that they actually ended up executing it, i thought was um I think Richmond used a good word, sincere. 
it, it, it has a lot of heart, actually. And um, I feel bad that it uh, was before its time. Yeah, there was no ironic detachment, you know, no no winking at the audience like, hey, we know better than this. We know it's a silly movie. Like They, they just went for it. And it, I think it was a much stronger movie uh, for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, okay, I, I just want to say one thing about the Aronofsky thing. I I, I can't leave it unless I say this. Um, you got it. Like he, yeah, he actually did a pretty good job translating some of the shots to live action. I mean, of course, he also just pretty much like riffed them, like like shot for shot, same timing and everything. But um, if he had just said like, yeah, you know, this is an homage, uh, that that that'd be fine. But what the reason I hold it against him is. He actually reached out to um, Satoshi Kon and and the, whoever held the rights to Perfect Blue, because um, Perfect Blue was originally a book that Satoshi Kon adopted, and he he somehow got the rights to adopt uh, the animated uh, film to live action, or rather, he was in the talks, but he never actually did. But he lets everyone continue to this day to believe that he did actually pay for the rights for them. And that's why everyone feels like it's okay, because every time I hear this brought up, people are like, oh, well, he paid for it, right? But no, he did not. And I know he did not because Satoshi Kon himself said so on his blog. Unfortunately, his blog was only in Japanese, and people missed out on this for years and years. He, he was not happy about this. And then there's also uh, recently uh, surfaced in English, um, there's actually an interview where someone asked him about that. And in his own words, he was like, yeah, like, you know, that's just like shot for shot what I did. Like, that's not an homage. Like, he more or less said, like, yeah, I just, I, I feel like ripped off because, <laughs> like, I didn't, he didn't get anything from that, right? He, he didn't really get credit. He did not financially benefit from it. And Aronofsky's career, like, really took off, you know? And it's just, and just the final, the last straw for me was that when Dark Horse published, um, you know, a, a tribute book to, Satoshi Kon, they got Darren Aronofsky to write the the foreword, and I was like, "Oh dude, no, what? Like, yeah, oh, did you even check? Did you read his blog? Oh. Did you know how he felt about like? And even then, he he did not even in his foreword, he didn't say like he did not admit like, yeah, I, you know, I totally took this from him. He just said, oh yeah, I was a big fan, you know. So I was just like, man, you know, I I actually like his movies, but that that's just messed up. Like I, I cannot respect that at all. Like that, I, that, I can't think of any other word besides like dick punch or gut punch to like have them yeah. write the forward for. Wow, I didn't. I didn't well, know that. that's how little yeah, known it was. That, but, but just everyone just took it for truth because, Ar you know, because Aronofsky himself kept continued to claim that like he paid for the rights and and he never did. So, yeah, that's why I hold a grudge uh, for all that. Yeah, I just found the video. I posted it here in our recording. He's just not original to me, so it's like I'm perfectly fine with roasting him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, it's just it's a it's a real shame. It's it's a real shame. Just a there's a lecture that people can find if people want to hear about this too. But animation obsessive. That's a, a Annie obsessive on Twitter. Uh, yeah, they posted a video when he was speaking about like the remarks that he 
made, obviously, during the time back in 07 and stuff. And yeah, it's just kind of like strange to see even like see this happen. And like he, he's pulling up like, you know, video like evidence like of this. He's, he's looking at, yeah. you know, the actual like shots from Perfect Blue itself. Like he's just talking about how it made him feel. And it's like, damn, like it's just it's such a cutting thing. It's such a shameful and like it's such a sad and tragic thing for that this would happen to someone obviously yeah. as amazing and creative as him but also like the circumstances of his own like active like creative life and like the sort of i suppose in many ways the sort of like plaudits that someone else can get from someone else's work like in this specific sense it just makes it sort of extra sad on extra sad kind of thing it's just yeah it's, it's a lot to take yeah yeah I, I feel like the other thing about it i mean i think we this is probably kind of implied but this kind of thing would probably not have been in a, a conversation had he copied a live action movie um yeah that'd be a bigger it, deal yeah um but what's your point like the difference between an homage and copying is pretty significant yeah because if you're doing an homage it's like the concept of music remixing you have to add a little bit of yourself in there like a little yeah. bit of more interpretation a little bit of self-expression but i didn't see but we didn't see any of that and i i think that's incredibly unfortunate it's a mis yeah. It's a missed opportunity for a creative to influences. Otherwise, you're just fucking uh, Tarantino. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Um, Sean. Sean, what was the first OVA that you remember seeing? So, um, it's it's one of two, and I'm I'm really like struggling in my memory to remember like which one I watched first, and you will you will hear why in this story. So um, the way that I started getting into anime uh, was actually through anime music videos. Ooh. <laughs> AMVs, okay. AMVs, yes. But this was like when yes. and I don't know if back in the day, all you whippersnappers. You couldn't just go on the YouTubes or whatever. You had to, like, go on, like, illegal services like a Kazaa or, like, the Napsters. Oh, so you didn't go to an anime con and hear all of those AMVs. Okay. (laughs) No, no, no. I I had to, like, painstakingly download them over, like, a 3.1 modem connection. Oh, no! When I was... Oh, my God. So, and this was even, like, uh, after... So so I was kind of coming in later on the scene because I was, like, maybe 11 or 12. When we first got internet, um, or at least enough to get it. So anyway, the there's two of them. So the the one that I think I'm pretty sure it was because uh, the one I found was a movie. Um, so it's between. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Roroni Kenshin, Trust and Betrayal, Samurai. Oh. Um, but but here's the the thing. In my mind, it could easily have been Eighth MS Team as well. Um, Cause I was, cause, cause like when I was doing, uh, but the thing is, the reason I'm pretty sure it was Kenshin is, uh, cause a lot of the AMVs I was into were like, uh, Kenshin and I, I was really excited. So I, I don't know if y'all are uh, familiar with trust and betrayal, but, uh, I don't know if it's like the, the greatest not violent movie to start out a kid with. Um, <laughs> so it is dark, right? It's uh, it's it's intentionally meant to really contrast with um, 
you know, the main series. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I obviously had no way of knowing this at the time because I think I, I if I recall, uh, it was a thing of mine to go to like um, video, like like off the cuff video stores, like not not Blockbuster, like you know, third third party ones that had like their own whatever and kind of just rummage through bins and stuff and. Uh, I, I had seen this one and it, it looked really attractive. I had no way of knowing that it was a prequel, so that kind of worked out in my favor, I guess. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, I was getting, but, but uh, I had seen a lot of the clips from it uh, in in anime music videos, and I was uh, pretty excited to actually like see the context of it. Uh, and then I was a lot of my friends at the uh, the time um, were into Gundam. Uh, so, like, I, I, I'm, I, I almost thought it was the first one, but shortly thereafter, I got, like, in the mobile suit Gundam, like, I was watching, like, uh, 0083, like, and stuff like that, um, but I'm, like, pretty, but those are older, right, like, I, I actually got in, this isn't, like, 99, I'm pretty sure, it was around when, when I started watching them, so, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, it was Kenshin, but it, it actually, I, I can't remember if it might have been 8th MS Team, uh, even though, 8th MS Team is a series, right, but it's still, uh, an OVA and like I don't know I, I that's like kind of what I thought Gundam was gonna be not not that it's it's not but you know it's a, it's got a very different tone to it so like I don't know why I guess I picked all of these animes that are much more serious than their counterparts from a um like an imagery perspective right so well uh, because they're perfect for AMVs right so that that's really interesting so you uh, and Adam that that was your entry point right uh, AMVs yeah many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my but God. I think that makes sense because OVAs are full of really cool shit, right? <laughs> like, yeah. that's yeah, like yeah. the whole point is like, oh man, you build up to these beautiful moments and there's just so many choice uh, bits. I mean, that's what really immediately stands out about them is just how visually beautiful they were. So like, yeah, of course, like people would uh, definitely lean into those for, 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 uh, you know, the music videos. Yeah. Speaking of which, has does anybody here remember Ken Ishii's extra music video? Yes, yes, yes. That that was Koji Morimoto that directed that, right? Uh, uh huh. Yes, that was definitely him. Oh, let me. I'll 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 I'll, I'll post that to the uh, the chat. I wasn't I quite sure it. when it was made, oh, but now that I looked up uh, on Google, it's uh, January aired January first, nineteen ninety five. Wow. Oh, wow. It it looks like <laughs> uh, that's it unbelievable. It still holds up. Yeah, that's amazing that it is. You know, because I I didn't I didn't see the 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 early Studio Four C stuff until like maybe two thousand five two thousand six. I thought it was new. I thought it was like cutting edge then. I didn't know it was already like ten years old by then. That's that's crazy. Whew. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, gosh, that's so cool. I've got one. I've got one thing to say. Speaking of AMVs, very quickly as well. Seeing as we're so clearly in the AMV wave, I had to do this. <laughs> like, do you remember a while ago, you guys, when I was talking about when I was talking about having seen this one really cool thing that I'd never seen before, that I was just like really, really happy about, really happy to show you guys. Well, mm -hmm. that thing, everybody, was Ninja Scroll. <laughs> yeah, oh. Ninja Scroll, like absolutely, oh, like man. changed my life. Like the first time I watched that was about, I think, a year and a half ago now, or two years ago now. It might have been, but maybe it could have been a year ago. But yeah, like. 
I watched this Dan Terminus Digital Onslaught Dark Synthwave AMV, and like it literally just stopped me in my tracks. Like I remember tweeting about, I think I tweeted about it, but I definitely told um, the guys here. I definitely told Richmond and Sean about it. I remember this because you guys were like, "You've never seen that movie," and I was like, "Nope, never." And I watched it, and yeah, it, it like literally just it just boosted me in so many ways. I felt so just amped up just watching it. And just, that's the power of AMVs, you know? Like sometimes when you're watching a select section of events of a really cool story to set to really intriguing or really exciting music, really dramatic music, like it just really kind of, it just puts the context in a whole different situation and it allows for you to sort of connect to this piece of media in a, in a really genuine way. And I think that that's a big part of what, was the, the bigger the carrot on the end of the stick so to speak for a lot of people getting into anime i think when they first watch something like that and they're like wait what show is that or what's that from that's a huge part of what facilitates a, the start of a lifelong anime loving life i guess yeah 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 i i just want to say real quick um before i ever heard the term amv i was making them at home like we, oh, wow. we had two two VCRs, right? Um, okay. we, we had a we had a beta beta deck and a VHS deck, and I um, I used to just like uh, make my own music videos with, with clips from anime, and I would uh, time it to music, but like I would have to listen to the song and then write it out on paper, like okay, like at you know. 10 seconds in, you know, a cut here. And then, and then I would actually just have to hit play on one VCR and then record on the other and then time it and then pause. <laughs> and, then, hmm. and then at the, I would have to record the whole thing with no sound, hoping that the timing will match up. And then at the very last pass, like I would dub in the sound. And uh, I had no idea that AMVs were a thing. And there was like a whole community internationally people doing this. I, I was just like, having fun at home with the two VCRs and, and a tape deck. Oh, I mean, that's, that's, that's all that so matters, fun. man. Yeah. 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 My, my first AMV, which no one has ever seen was, um, I, I took the, uh, return of Brawly, the dragon ball. Oh my movie, God. And I, I, I did a music video to, um, uh, pop, uh, uh kick to kill by pop will eat itself, which is, you know, like a British, uh, you know, like uh, like early techno kind of band. It, it, it was from the Loaded uh, soundtrack from from the PS One game Loaded. I just thought it was a really cool song, and I made like a Dragon Ball uh, AMV <laughs> based off of it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I also started making my own, and I honestly don't remember why this was, but the first one I made was for Oh My Goddess. Nice. <laughs> oh, wow. Which, Listen, which you're a, you were a man of culture and taste yeah. <laughs> that's right that's, that's, you have a beautiful soul <laughs> i actually like had a had a point that which was not related to uh, getting into ovas where i got really into um like the the harem style without knowing what that was i, I, I am famous uh, on this podcast for my love of eighth and uh, eighth machine sorry uh 801 tts air baths um <laughs> but maybe it's related to uh loving eighth machine as well into that like, <laughs> military hardware plus anime. I don't know. TTS Airbats was that a TV show or was it a anime uh, OVA? I think. You know, so here's the thing. I I've only ever consumed it as a VHS, which is what I still own, by the way. Uh, like it was, it was an OVA. It was an OVA. Was it an OVA? Yep. There were only seven episodes. 
All right, yeah, then. Well, we can talk about eight hundred one TTS airbags. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very <laughs> relevant. Um, this is a weird show. It's pretty strange. Right, right. Oh, uh, yeah. So, if uh, if for everyone listening, eight hundred one TTS airbats is, is a, a harem style anime, except the women are fighter pilots at a base, um, and it mostly focuses on like air combat. It, like it's so it's definitely got like your you know. Tenchi Muyo, oh my god, is this, uh, Love Hina, I don't know, I'm just like listing harem comedy stuff. Um, it, it's kind of in that vein, but I, I don't know, I just, uh, I thought the, the the rendering of like fighter jets and the way that they treat it is very enjoyable, and so I bought up every VHS I could find of it, which I, I think I was able to get the entire one. I didn't realize it was an OVA, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, also, uh, Worth knowing if you're ever gonna go seek this out. Uh, the third episode, they like deviate from the airplane stuff and they just like go into town. And it's also some of the like the uh, the first like delicious rendering of like ramen and anime that I, that that made me be like, oh my god, I have to eat this food. Um, <laughs> which is a weird place to get that from. I uh, I'll admit. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh, anime food. Anime is such a great cultural ambassador. Oh, that's that's we're definitely doing a podcast on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I was I was about to say something, but I was like, ah, maybe I should save it for (laughs) future podcast because I remember the first anime food that I saw and like the impact it had on me. And uh, yeah, like I I think I'm going to save it though. Okay, okay, gonna hold on to it. Yeah, one right. thing that I that I genuinely wanted to mention as well, because like we've just been speaking about OVAs a lot, but I just realized that like okay, this is like a bit different like time wise, but I actually did just watch one like last month, and like this is something which I was really kind of like taken surprised by like, a little bit, just because I didn't think it's not I didn't think that it would be good, but just like it kind of just it just really really surprised me. So like I had a good time watching um like the Birdie the Mighty OVA. Like, yes. it came out, like, in, like, the 90s. Oh, it was, like, dude, really, that's really fire, good. bro. Yeah, that's it's so, really it's good, so, yeah. so cool. I, I took a bunch of notes whilst I was, like, watching it as well, which I just refound. Because <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I just watched something recently. But, yeah, like, even something ex- as simple kind of, like, as, like, the way the logo is. I'm just going to post that in. But, like, just, it's so chunky and, like, blocky. And, like, you never see, like, logos like this for stuff anymore. Like, it's just, like, it's so large and it's just so full of character it just has this very specific really nice blend of both obviously japanese and english in it together but just a really sort of nice nice blocky font set like really nice sort of like lean italic feel to to its like slant like it just feels really nice like just simple black and white two colors really easy really easy to digest and understand but at the same time it's sort of just also speaks to a sort of like a grandiose nature of like a project you know like back when you know speaking of speaking of people who've played like quite a bunch of capcom games we all like have have seen and played like you know if you look at like the vampire savior like logo for example like and like if you look at for example like the current crop of like general logos that we'd see for games today like it's not not the same type of feel not the same type of deal but even just bringing in again the fact that um like things take inspiration from other things i was thinking about this i was thinking about like the idea of a kind of a a really weird link that i found between again dark stalkers and everything and i actually found oh, yeah? out that 
yeah, they, they fight on a wall in in Birdie, in Birdie the Mighty. And like it's just like Tower of Arrogance vibes, like 100%. So I was just like really happy ah. to put the, that two and two together there a little bit. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Have any of you all seen this yet? I'm sure you, I'm sure you all have probably. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely have seen Birdie the Mighty uh, a ridiculous amount of times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of good in there. That, that's oh, actually uh, one that I, I missed. I've, I've seen some highlights, but I need to actually sit down and watch the whole thing because it's, gosh, it's beautiful. Like, that's yes, it is. Every single drawing is amazing. Like, incredible. It's really, really nice. It, it has like, I, a really nice like thickness to it, like line wise. It's just, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, you know, like, I mean, this isn't nostalgic for you, right? To you, like, a lot. Of, this is your first time seeing it. You've already seen lots of other anime. Like, yeah, I, yeah I'd love yeah. to hear your impressions on just the aesthetics of it, right? Because it is very different from uh, what what you see from uh, modern animation. I think. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I will. I'll say this one hundred percent. Like, I'm I'm someone who's I've seen like a lot of like shows like as a kid, for example. But like, I'm I wouldn't necessarily say that like I got that I grew up with like the sort of primo versions of like absolutely everything. So, for example, like I grew up falling in love with the Funimation like the, the so the four kids version of like One Piece, for example, and like that was like my shit. Like I really loved that at the time. But like, absolutely would would go would go on to Funimation versions and other shit like that. But it just reminds me of the fact that as you mentioned here like, yeah a lot of this stuff like it's still new to me like just watching so many of these ovas so many things that i've never seen or really have heard of prior to conversations like this like i've got a lot of things that i want to get into but like for example when i started watching this i did like take a couple notes and like one thing that i really thought was interesting was like just the general use of like flashing imagery and like how specific like that was to like i guess this time because like there's so many parts of like this show where things just like flash just like bright white and i'm just like whoa that's like that's like a lot but like it's not like not like, it's not like bad for me like per se but it's just like a really intriguing like part of it or for example like some of like the color choices and like how just saturated it all feels i suppose and the fact that there are certain other areas of like design in it that are really nice for example like some of the what well, one of the main like antagonists like her design is like really really cool like i like the way that she's always kind of like sat down like sipping on like an expensive drink and like being evil for from the shadows and obviously like these are quite like stereotypical things in some senses but again like for me a lot of the time like this does feel like it, it doesn't feel like 100% like brand like new per se but like just so much of it so many of the establishing shots so many of the sentiments and some tropes that you see utilized in here like yeah like they, they are very very well put together and you can see why they sort of like stood the, the test of time so to speak in, in other bits of media yeah uh, Jesse, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the drawing quality of of, of this stuff of, of Birdie the Mighty, or just uh, 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 what you know, whatever comes to mind. Because uh, like artistically, this stuff was so solid. Yeah, because like I, if I remember right, before then, like with the late seventies, like everybody had like a somewhat stylized but still kind of cartoony proportions, and the uh, expressions were still kind of exaggerated. But now we're sort of seeing like a we're seeing more of an artistic voice in every single character designer and they all lent, they all leaned a little bit more into the realism, into things. They wanted things to have a lot more physical weight. They wanted uh, movements to feel um, 
well, like a, almost like a performance, but also like just, but still like grounded in reality as, as where even with all the craziness going on. But I feel like I look at that and it translates even into the uh, anime magazine illustrations. And I thought like that mm. was just like the, the crystallization of that vision. And I was like, yeah, that's really, really cool because they go so hard in those illustrations and they stick in your mind uh, long after you've finished watching these shows. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about like the spreads and stuff like new type, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I, 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 to, to give some context, like back in the eighties and nineties, like you couldn't just hop on the internet and download images and you, you didn't have artist sites where like, you know, people share, like you'll see like literally thousands of co cool new images every day. Like back then, like you had to buy a magazine and then you just savored like every image that you got, but like, man, like they were worth it. Like they, they poured their hearts into each illustration. You know, it, 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 nothing was throwaway. Like it was, everything was done with so much intentionality. Like what, what, what illustration comes to mind? Like when, when you're talking about these, uh, Jesse? Um, for example, the Cowboy Bebop uh, images. Yes, example. yes, that, that's right. what the, I was thinking too. The yeah. choice of colors, the composition, the yeah. layout, yeah. The, the one yeah. of yeah. Uh, Spike and Julia uh, standing oh. and sitting oh together was like, oh. it's, it's just, the rain. there oh, is man. so much, so yeah. much to grab hold on to. It hurts because you remember yeah, that did. moment and it's like crystallized in that illustration right there. And you're reliving it at the same time, but it's like it's just so much nicer because uh, Toshihiro Kawamoto actually spent more time like on on uh, his drawings. It was just nice. It was just nice as a whole. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. a lot of uh, like aesthetic appeal to the way that New Type presented anime to people. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it was, it was a glorious time to be into anime i mean i was one of those people that was super lucky that there was a uh, a japanese bookstore that was run by these two old ladies and they would literally get like just tons and tons of japanese magazines and they would get new types like you know on tap like every every release they always had them and uh you know the internet was not not so great you know back in the day it wasn't even a thing really um and just being able to really sit and absorb just the coolness of those images and the feel that they were like giving you. It was almost similar to uh, how I felt when I was a kid and I used to like collect TV guides because they made celebrities look so cool, but it was just like obviously taken to like so much more of an optimal level with, uh, you know, people like Kawamoto doing these dope ass illustrations for Cowboy Bebop and like, um, you know, Shuko Murase doing like, uh, you know, like Gundam Wing, like illustrations for New Type, and like, uh, you know, it was just, yeah, man, God, it was such just really good stuff in there, man. And you're just you eat with your eyes until you fucking yeah. bust. I was yeah. gonna say, yeah, the, the Gundam Wing. Yes, type it's stuff a feast for the eyes. Into, got me into New Type, um, but I start. I don't know. I I feel like that's one of those those magazines that's like it. It felt. I, I, you remember the, the the back in the day when you, you get the the magazines that were wrapped in the plastic? At least the, that's how I used to have to get it. Like it was mm -hmm. just oh yeah, uh, that's how I used yeah. to get like new type and stuff when I was eventually able to get it. And it's I don't know, it just feels and I, I kind of miss that feeling of just like <laughs> this one magazine you have to like open it. Um, There's a ritual to it, right? Yeah, 
yeah, there's a ritual to it. I, I still remember uh, to this day, like how I felt when I got the September 2001 issue of New Type. Uh, I believe it was for the release of Knocking on Heaven's Door. Um, so the spike was on the front. And, uh, you know, he had that slightly different look and, you know, color design was a little more uh, desaturated, uh, you know, similar to the movie. And uh, I just I just remember just staring at it. Like, I didn't even open it for like, you know, maybe in like like 30 minutes. You know, I was just staring at it on the train on the way home. Just like, oh, my God, dude, like this is this is going to be so cool. And it's so amazing. Um, you know, I, 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 I fell in love with just the feeling of what New Type kind of provided uh, at that time. Like just even as someone who was studying, you know, anime because I obviously was incorporating it into my art, but uh, even just outside of that, just being a fan of anime, it was just like a wonderful experience to get those magazines back then. Yeah, man. Like, like uh, you, you just, yeah, it's it's oh my god, dude. And it, <laughs> like sometimes they would have the, uh, the 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 model sheets, right? And that that, oh, yeah. that would be oh yeah, that was. That was like getting a secret like kung fu scroll. That was like, oh, this is gonna yes. raise my power level if you know if I really yes. study this. Yeah. Yes. Man. And oh then art God, books dude. finally became that's, a thing, although import taxes are just through the fucking roof for me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I had sticker shock when I went to um, when I was dragged on to a trip to uh, Asia. I was in China. Uh, and I was also in Korea for a time. In, oh, in wow. those two countries, art books were cheap. They're like ten to twenty dollars cheap. You can buy it in a convenience store. Yeah. Availability, like in a bookstore mm -hmm. availability. Whereas there, uh, in my case, in Canada, I had had to be in mostly specialized uh, brick and mortar stores, like the Labyrinth, or um, sometimes during uh, traveling um bookstore events well that was also organized by um the labyrinth but it's very rare that you also find anime art books in regular stores you really had to hunt around for them yeah it was annoying yeah. but when I, you I did they to... charged you 100 bucks <laughs> yeah i just want to point out like i i don't unless you lived in asia like in the 80s and 90s i think people in the West and even in Japan, they don't realize how mainstream anime and manga was like throughout Asia. Like you, you could just go to a newsstand, you know, not a specialty store at all. And you, you would find like art books and manga and manga, you know, anime magazines. Like it was just a really normal thing. Like I, I, I had aunts, you know, like uh, way older than me. They'd, they'd recommend like, Hey, do you read this comic? It's really funny. You know? Like a... On that note, um, cells and uh, anime cells, uh, yeah. cellulite acetate, the mm -hmm. the base, the clear sheets of plastic that anime cell shade painters would actually paint on the back mm. after they've been photocopied from key animators. Those mm -hmm. sold a lot because there were just tons of them. Like even even misprints of anime uh, cells sold for a lot. But mm. on the flip side, anime backgrounds were tossed out because there's just only one of them. And at the time, there was no way to replicate uh, or c do color copies of backgrounds. And it was so sad because 
That's crazy. There's so much wow. artistry in these backgrounds, yeah. and they just toss them out. I'm like, no, the psychic damage. Oh my gosh. I, oh my god. There, there were. Um, thank God for for otaku, because I think some of them did like actually sneak in and ra go dumpster diving and salvage some of them, right? I think back in the day. If, yeah, which is why yeah, when I looked at the anime people. architecture art book, I was initially very incensed. It's like, who the fuck do these people think they are capitalizing on Japanese artists' work? Like, who the fuck are they? And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, the ship has mm. sailed, right, obviously. But it's like, it would be nice mm. if at the time people just cared about uh, stuff or, or valued artistic contributions a little bit more. Yeah, oh that is gosh, the 100%. eternal problem. Yeah. Gosh, it's just—it's it, just so strange the ways in which so many of these problems just like the problems don't change, but the people that facilitate them also don't change. It's just like we, we deal—we deal with so much of this. We, we, we've dealt—we've dealt with so much of this for so long. Just so many of these types of people who even exist now, specifically with respect to the sort of rise of um art and ai for example and their sort of like mixtures and things like that just even for example people trying to very specifically like literally profit on like the works of other people by trying to utilize their work and names as like prompts to generate more art and then pass yeah. it off as other people's work to try and sell or try and pass it off as their own work and be like hey i made this i typed in craig mullins but like it's my art and like just like doing all these different things in ways that very specifically aren't going to facilitate as jesse correctly mentioned like the artistry the history the effort and work that went into creating you know these pieces for example i even saw someone try and like apply for like a position at a studio like not going to say which but like just um uh, someone tried to do something like this and like they tried to apply for an art position but with like ai work and they were like hey you know, like, I did this thing, and, like, this work is, like, mine, and, like, yeah, like, someone was posting about that experience online, having seen that, and, like, it's just so wild to think that, like, that's a place where, you know, we exist currently, just the idea of someone trying to sort of, like, not just take, like, a sort of a, a shortcut route generally, but just wholesale skipping general artist training and like just making art all and just being like you know what i'm just gonna do this thing and get into this position this way it's it's quite an it's quite an interesting thing and just sort of like link it back to the thread of this conversation specifically it's one does not so simply to... make anime one does not exactly simply... yeah. <laughs> is that that exactly, is the, that is the exactly. meme du jour today exactly exactly it's like people threw out such good work just because they had to in essence that way as jesse mentioned but then we see so many people today specifically being like i'm not even gonna make it and it's mine it's just like what the fuck it's a very odd thing to think about in the interest position yeah i i will say that um a lot of my experience in creating professional art in a variety of ways is you get what you pay for by which i mean uh, <clears throat> When you don't put in the work, it, it shows. Like, it shows to, to the people that matter, I think, um, more often than not. Mm, mm. Or, or at the very Gosh. least, it catches up with you. Right. Not 100%. 
I think that's one of the coolest things, actually, because, like, I want to kind of, like, thread this back around to a conversation which we had prior to recording, but, like, we chatted a lot about, like, anime and manga, like, accessibility, even areas as to how that can, like, influence the general artistic knowledge or education early on in someone's life. Like, even as we've all done here, we all sort of drew as children, as Jesse mentioned earlier. She was drawing and, like, quite literally practicing for areas of her current occupation, just specifically going through those steps early on, drawing, getting that muscle memory down getting that creative memory down but i was just thinking about the ways in which like yeah anime and manga accessibility is really important a lot of these uh companies and a lot of these platforms that are able to show and facilitate the growth in that area they're not doing like the best job you know we've just been speaking earlier about like the decisions like the netflix has been making and a few other different places but also the fact that they're kind of making it a bit tougher in some ways for people to even access anime at all and for people obviously being pushed towards piracy that's kind of like a no-brainer with respect to some of their um abilities to access it because if they can't access it any other way you know what else are they going to do just yeah what, what what do you guys think about the conversation that we had earlier related to this <laughs> um i think it's i mean sadly like it's just the sign of the times when something gets uh to a certain level of popularity um you know companies view it as a, a thing that they can use to uh manipulate their own revenue so you know they make things harder to access uh just for the sake of either capitalism or misunderstanding of like the importance of letting people have access to these things right like uh i mean i'm sure some of you remember like the name suncoast video or like <laughs> you know like like some of us for some of us that was the only way that we uh got access to a lot of newer anime because what most people don't know is that even with blockbuster video kind of getting like a few titles here and there for people to rent in terms of anime there was a point where they didn't really replenish uh you know, with new content. So, you know, people started to migrate to, you know, Suncoast Motion Picture uh, Store or like, you know, like if they found an import shop, if they were lucky enough to have an import shop, they could get them there. But, you know, like you, you had limited access. So you would think in the future, oh yeah, you know, you would find a way to, you know, make it so that, oh yeah, I want to look up anime shows from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. You would think at this point in time, like, on some official level that there would be some sort of compendium or, or something that people could go through and say, Oh, okay, cool. I can watch this or, you know, have access to it, but you know, you don't because stuff is so spread out. And uh, a lot of times it's really about the new stuff more so than the older stuff. So like more people can say, Oh yeah, we'll give you a way to watch Chainsaw Man. But like, Oh, we don't, we don't know if you want to watch Voltoms. So you'll never see that, you know? Um, so if anything, I feel like we have the technology to do it, but much like what, you know, Jesse was saying, we just need a, a conglomerate of rich weeps to just, you know, passionate about like archiving this stuff and then like making it accessible in some way so that people can sort of go back and look and say, okay, yeah, like, wow, anime was really different in the 80s or like anime was, you know, different in the 70s because uh, sometimes I get it's, 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 it's like it's a frustrating challenge sometimes when you explain to people uh, like myself like I'm very much like you know founded on a lot of stuff from the 80s and the 90s so when people come up to me and they say oh well how come you haven't watched you know new series XYZ or whatever I'm like ah, you know I'll get around to it but usually you know the idea is that like 
I'm not really intrigued by a lot of them as much as I used to be. And, um, you know, you try to explain to people like, oh, well, what kind of anime do you like? And it's just like, oh, well, it's this anime that like I can show you, but like I can't give you like a path to go easily find it. Um, you know, personally, I wish Re- Retro Crush was just a stronger uh, app in this instance. Most definitely in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, I just want to hear some more from you about what it is that you were talking about earlier with respect to how it is that you kind of viewed some areas of like the distribution of anime and like a manga and how it is that that can affect just the general portrayal like of it through the scenes. Okay, so um, the whole media literacy thing, it's also like, um, it's also a time sensitive thing because uh, prints run out and so does and so does stocks of physical copies of dvds and uh blu-rays can run out and sometimes people just don't bother restocking but you think that with the digital media as it is that you know this would not be a problem the licensing and just the short-sightedness of uh, of companies that have streaming services they just don't seem to really think much of the end user in that respect because they're always looking for uh, things that will improve viewership as opposed to just providing a wide selection of media for everybody to enjoy mm-hmm. which in some ways i think disney plus kind of does a lot better in that respect because they have an entire library and archive of things going back to the 1920s for god's sakes <laughs> So you, so you would think it would be the same thing for anime, but why can't we get that going? But beyond that, there's just so much, there is literally so much anime and manga and doujinshi and it, everything sort of like bleeds into each other because one thing inspires the other thing. And the only way you're going to get it is either if you like, if you go through uh, comic stores, if you specifically ask somebody to order copies for you or you go to a bookstore or you go to an import store or you go to you go to japan and buy that stuff for yourself um or you uh well you you use search engines and you find some place that has scan translations or translation you uh, just consume it like just about anybody else but for free Mm-hmm. I mean, and, I, and then... uh, I mean, like, uh, I'm not gonna argue for or against any of that because, I mean, it's not my place. But also at the same time, I really wish people had more access to this stuff, right? Yes. And because it's such a wealth of information, of culture, of artistry, and I feel like we're all missing out if we just kind of let it fall to the wayside and forget about it and. Everybody else seems to latch onto what companies just spoon feed them on Netflix. Yeah, you know, I was it's, just watching it's... a bunch of guys go up to the streamer girl who asked for like for anime movie uh, recommendations, and she had like a vibe of what she wanted, but she's watched everything that they've suggested. So like mm. all all oh, the uh, Satoshi Khan uh, movies all the makoto shinkai movies like ghibli she's seen a lot and 
practically all of it, which meant you're going to have to kind of start digging back a little bit further in history to give this girl something that she hasn't seen before, which is what I did. So it's like, I don't know. We'll have to see. But like, I feel like this is, this is such a, a shame because what if she can't find this stuff anymore? I get worried about that stuff. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, yeah it's say... really... Go ahead. Oh, Go ahead I, mean, I think there's some good news. I mean, there there is a lot of stuff coming out on Blu-ray that I would have never expected uh, back in the day because there, there are so many like foundational anime series that never came out in the West, like, like uh, 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 Votoms. You know, I, I got that on Blu-ray a couple of years ago, an official oh, release, wow. right? And that 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 was amazing, right? Or 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 Zabungle, I did not expect that. Like that, um, I think is uh, just. I think it's the company's called Maiden Japan, not Made in, but Maiden, like like a nice. like, like a lady. yeah, like a laugh. <laughs> Maiden Japan. Like a play on words, but um, they've been finding some pretty cool, you know, older series that uh, people have been missing out on in the Anglosphere and officially releasing them, and they're like reasonably priced. Like you can get all of Votoms for, you know, like forty some odd bucks, uh, but it's just um, it's still pretty niche. And like you said, Jesse, like you know, if they once they run out, that's it. You, you know, your only other option is piracy after that because it's not streaming anywhere. Um, Does anybody even, have access to Harmageddon by any chance? That's I don't think you can officially get that in in, in English. I, I, I'm gonna look that up. Okay, but like personally, I view it as like the a prerequisite film to watch before watching Akira. Yes. Okay. Uh, Hiromasa Okura painted on it, and then uh, and then. Well, we actually ended up with uh, having some of the people who are on Harmageddon end up on Acura and informing the visual direction of it. Like, it's just insane how, I mean, how something so pivotal just wasn't like, it just wasn't, it just didn't come out of the blue, of course. Yeah, I, that that's a real interesting one because um, I don't know why, but in in the West when it did come out, it, it probably because it came out after Akira in the West, okay. it got panned. It was one of those. There was a period where people took some really cool OVAs and they were like, "Oh, it's so bad." It's like let's laugh at it. Like they did that to uh, Birth, yes. and they also did that to Harmageddon, which is really strange because in Japan, it came out before Akira. Like you said, it, it, it you know. Um, it really like there's no Akira without Harmageddon. Uh, Otomo worked on it. Like uh, all the other anime, the key animators that worked on Akira worked on that first. They worked out a lot of cool stuff, and and in Japan it's regarded as a classic. And then for some reason in America people were like, well, it's not as good as Akira, so like let's laugh at it. And then you just can't find it. I don't think anyone is even considering re-releasing it. Like uh, when I try to look for the Harmageddon, uh, you know. Genma Wars, like, uh, there's, there's nothing in English. People are just like, oh, oh do you mean Armageddon? <laughs> do, you, do you mean the movie with Bruce Willis and, and, and the Aerosmith soundtrack? I was like, no, no. I, that's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just That's watching the trailer now, and you can 100% see some uh, some very specific vibes in here that uh, that are a bit like Akira flavored. Even just thinking about the fact that you got like someone here with some emanating, so like psychic power around them with a super like determined look on their face, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're gonna gonna do some Tetsuo Canada stuff right now. But yeah, like this is this is really cool. I've never I've I've never seen this, so it's another thing for me to check out for sure. Yeah, there's a there's a sequence in it where where there's these dragons made out of like like flames and electricity and um it it's stunning. It's beautiful. It's uh Yoshinori Kanada animated it and um that was like uh, you, you know the artist Takashi Murakami, the super yes. flat guy, you know, Louis Vuitton, literally the richest fine artist in the world. Um he he considers that like a, a high point in Japanese culture. Like he literally like printed out the frames and hung them in a gallery and told people like, this is high art. <laughs> you know, He was like, this is what I wanted to do when I was younger and I couldn't cut it in animation. So I became a fine artist instead. Like that's how high, you know, <laughs> that's the regard that he has for it. And, um, but you know, like we're, we know about it cause we're, we're, we're fanatics for this stuff, but Gosh, like the average anime fan, they're going to have such a hard time finding out about this, much less experiencing it for themselves, you know? And that, Damn. That's I, I, I just saw, I just, just Googled this right now. Takashi Murakami is one of his most famous pieces that Take My Lonesome Cowboy. It was made in mm-hmm. 1998 and it got auctioned for two, in 2008. It's an artwork that basically holds, I think, one of the artist's highest records of auction, which was at $15.2 million. So, <laughs> like, yeah, you definitely uh, you definitely did get that right about his uh, some wealth there. That's a lot for, like, a piece of work. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing about him, though, is he really just promoted, like, animators and artists. Like, he wasn't like, I am elevating this or I'm subverting it. He's like, no, I'm just going to straight up put it in a museum and tell everyone to look at it. And um, yeah, I, I really respect him for that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, that's, yeah, I think that's more of what we need is uh, just like grand levels of exposure for people to uh, just get their hands on this kind of stuff. Um, you know, whether it's like Armageddon or uh, I don't know, Robot Carnival. Uh, yes, he's gonna mention that. Like, yeah. You yes, know, that one's fortunately on Retro Crush. Thank God. Thank, thank yes. God. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, like things like that. You know, things that came before it. Um, you know, I just think there needs to be some sort of voice that you know amplifies uh, these things because there's I'm personally, I feel like there's a new audience for it that would be hungry for it once they knew that it existed. Because uh, I mean. I feel like we've got decent anime productions that are coming out, but like ultimately, like, you know, I think there's potential in exposing people to uh, stuff in the past that can reinvigorate like a new generation in a way that was similar to what it did to us, but maybe different or better, you know? Um, Because I mean, that stuff is still beautiful to this day. You know, I was talking to Richmond the other day about uh, like, one of my my first experiences with an uh, anime that really like just touched me and really like inspired me in multiple ways uh, in terms of creativity and uh, it was like a Japan home video release and it had all of these 
Japanese PVs uh, on the VHS. And it was just like the moment that I saw these things, like my whole like outlook on creativity was changed in terms of the potential of what you can do with sound, with music, with animation. And it's like, I want people to be able to experience that feeling, man. Like I want people to be able to go back and like, you know, look at something and go, yeah, I like anime, but like, man, some of this old stuff is really dope. You know, like, man, this Yeah, but different. do it in a more ethical way than say like 80s aesthetic on Tumblr or something like that. Oh, like, use yeah, clips of Kimagure Orange Road or uh, <laughs> Only Yesterday uh, clips for oh. all those lo-fi vaporwave shit on YouTube. Like, credit this shit, yeah, please. Credit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you can't always yeah. rely on people to remember everything that they've watched. Yeah. yeah. It's very uh, true. It, it drives me nuts when they just put like a fake quote on it, too. <laughs> so it's like, yes. that's, oh oh, my God. that's not what she said. <laughs> yeah. like, How dare? It's like, yeah. yeah. That, Taylor Moon did not thing, say that ass. Like, she did not say that ass facts, bro. You yeah. know. That, that's happened so much. I think one of the most intriguing parts of this as well, and trying to find a lot of old media. I've talked about this a few times, but just like I love watching like old trailers for things, or old. Um, I love really, I love watching old commercials, old adverts for different countries' TV sections. Like I've tried with Richmond about this, but like I'll watch old stuff for like TV, like in Japan, old commercials that used to come out, or old US commercials from like the seventies or eighties. I just love watching them. They're just fun to watch, so you get cool ideas from them. But also like you get a real sort of like feel for like the time and the the culture. They're they're really cool like time capsules in a very like literal sense. But yes. one of the coolest things that I just ran into recently was this trailer right here, like. This is absolutely like crazy. Like I, I love the way that like so much of it is set in this really kind of like not aggressive but like brooding kind of a, a tone. It, it's a Kaido Maru, and like it is some absolute amazing stuff. Yeah, it, it that it, I was just gonna say that it is. I I found this recently. I literally found it just the other day. I was watching it a bunch. I like really like the background music. So I've just been listening to it. And then here here it is in this conversation that I look it up again and I find out it is it's an O it's an OVA. It, it was the directed by a Kanji Wakabayashi here and produced by Production IG. I actually didn't I didn't know that this was like an OVA until like literally looking it up right now. But like, yo, yeah, like, this looks exactly like Otoki Zoshi. Like the complete visual direction of it. It's, it's, Sorry, it's some really. It's, it's cool, it's cool. It's some really cool stuff. But go, go ahead, go ahead. Tell us. Yeah, I was just, I was just yeah, going. Yeah. Like there was a very minimalistic character art style in the, the exactly, at the yeah. setting, and it, and it reminds reminded me like a of a mid twenty tens or two thousands anime called from production IG called Otoki Zoshi, and yeah, uh, I guess this was just their way of revisiting this subject matter, and maybe this was like a pitch that never really went anywhere. I, um, so, so I, I had the Kaido Maru DVD and, uh, from what I recall, it was essentially like a training project for younger animators. They, they oh. wanted to give oh. them a chance to do their own thing. Um, so it's very much in the spirit of OVAs, right? Like it was like, Hey, this is not, you know, this is not like, uh, gonna, gonna be some huge moneymaker. Like this is like just express yourselves get used to the process and i think they wanted to see if you know just to to, to cultivate the new talent like that's so much like a hundred percent the spirit of like the best ovas like just just 
man, just do something only this team can do. And it had a really distinct look. It had a very Absolutely. unique art style. That, that that's reminds one thing me, I liked about it. Well, that made me oh. think of uh, Studio 4C, because that's basically all they did. They just did yeah. super yes. mega experimental stuff, right? Yes. But none of them, yes. their ideas seemed to take off. Like, even with Genius Party, I was most uh, optimistic about that one. You know, mm. it's so crazy. They were so cutting edge, and I don't know why it never quite caught on, because they just did such Racism. awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, that's just it. Is xenophobia, right? Because I, I, I know animators in the U.S. who, um, okay, there's a group of animators called uh, Mavericks uh, Studios. It was, it was an animation studio collective uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, Robert Valley was the head of it. You know, and he's one no of the way. greatest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know who Robert Valley is, right? Amazing. Oh yeah, I got to work with the guy. Amazing. Oh, you did. Oh, awesome! Oh I got to work with him on Invincible. Oh, which... uh, it was, it was. Oh, it was nice. Amazing. I was going to mention this invincible work. Sorry, go on. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Tell story. I'll just say, <laughs> just, just long story short, like Robert Valley is one of the most amazing animators, and he also draws comics. Just an amazing artist. I, I was lucky enough to meet him a couple times, but um, I know like he was like, you know, that that group they were studying this stuff. They were very internationally minded. They were looking at stuff from all over the place, like, and um. So like a lot of artists, you know, amongst artists, we'd get real excited for stuff like Studio 4C, but I don't know, it just didn't catch on with the public. And I can't explain it. You know what? It's because YouTube didn't exist. Yeah. You know what? Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Because yeah. you had to have the DVD, right? So it was like you had, hey, my friend imported this DVD with some crazy ass shorts on it. And we've never seen anything like it. But that and said... Yeah. Though, mm -hmm. so, um, even with, yeah. I think, because I remember watching it back in college with a bunch of uh, animation students, and uh, we were just kind of geeking out about this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. They were. What was it? There, there was a couple of shorts that they were really banking on. I'm just blanking on the names at the moment, but one of them was, uh, um, was of this girl who had this yin yang color job on her uh, her hairstyle and it was a beautiful yeah. floating uh animation and it was just and it was also uh, like a cute uh love story on the side as well i, I want to so say that, it was like kung fu love yes that was amazing, that was it kung fu love from amazing nuts amazing yes. nuts i think was the name of the cops oh so beautiful <laughs> oh you're you're like the one of the only other people I've talked to that, that knows that even exists. <laughs> and it's so far, amazing. The, the stupid thing was is that I was only aware of Global Astral Liner and Kung Fu Love. Uh, I did not know Glass Eye and Joe and Marilyn existed in that collection. I guess they just wanted to focus on the more visually impressive material that they yeah. had. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, I mean, definitely, definitely YouTube that stuff. It's just amazing. It's so good. It's so good. It's ridiculous. It's still cutting it. Um, I like to think of inspiration as stubbing your foot on furniture and being really angry about it because it's like, why can't I do that stuff too? I want to do that cool stuff. That's that the. Is, mm. That is a literally look at it. Yeah, yeah that's so real. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, it's like it, it's like an it, yeah. It, it's like an inspirational like pang. Like you feel it, and you kind of have like an involuntary reaction to it. You kind of like oh, like whoa, like look at that thing. Like you, there's, there's a there's a kind of like a through line, I guess, from that child inside of all of us that kind of like loves to point and shout and look at stuff. When you see something that really sort of like ignites that passion, you definitely feel that kind of that jolt again. You feel like awake for that second. It, it's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, de- definitely, definitely, like for the people who are listening to this podcast, definitely look this up sometime. Oh, 100%. Totally. Gosh. I'm actually compiling like a list of things that I want to watch like right now. And I just have like in this list a, a bunch of things that look and sound like really cool. For example, some things which I, which some things which I had never seen but have heard of. For example, um, I'm looking at here, obviously, Vampire Wars. I'm looking at, like, this thing called, like, The Cockpit. This looks really cool. It's only like, 30 minutes long. Like, mm. there's a bunch of other stuff here that looks quite cool, like Twilight of, like, The Dark Master. Like, I've just been, like, taking a look at them and just having a read as to who's been on them or the, just looking at different bits and pieces. But, like, I want to – I definitely want to have to revisit this when I'm, like, more OVA'd up because I think I'll be able to contribute a ton more. But this is a really cool, like – I'm really glad that we've been able to have, like, this discussion because, like, this is so cool. I'm finding out so much new stuff and like, yeah, I'm always on the hunt for new cool things. Yeah. Um, that also brings uh, up uh, Fluximation as a, as a music video slash animation um, anthology slash, uh, God, my brain is blanking out right now, but it's basically Studio 4C took all of Utada Hikaru's album material oh. for one for one sec, for one slice of her life, and made a whole bunch of animated music sh- uh, video shorts for it, and it was just so beautiful to watch. Uh, a amazing. couple of them were done by Koji Morimoto, and one of my favorites, uh, based on a track called "Wonder About," was done by Tatsuyuki Tanaka, who some of you oh. may remember from Cannabis Works. Yes. and yes. that guy, yeah. that guy yeah. animated <laughs> on Akira. Wow. Which yeah. is disgusting. Oh, yes. I just want to say, too, uh, he specifically animated the the horrific transformation sequence um, when, when Tetsuo just goes nuts. You know, and that was just mind blowing. Like, I'd nev- no one had ever seen animation like that back then. Like, the imagination that he put into it. Like, his specialty is like super realistic animation. Almost to the point where like people might think it was rotoscoped, but if, if you know what you're looking at, it it just yeah. doesn't have the hallmarks of rotoscoping. It's just really well drawn. That's it. Yeah. Um, the fun and- fact about my experience with that scene was uh, it was animated so well that it terrified me, and I I had <gasps> had a lot of trouble watching it, like because it felt it felt specifically real to me. Like more than any other scene in Akira, and I, I, I remembered like I, 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 I like pushed myself through it because I was like it's so beautiful, but I was so frightened by it because I felt almost like I don't know I felt like that, that I felt like Tetsuo was like near my house and could just smother my house with his body because of how like grotesque and just like it just it felt like I knew I was watching anime, but I actually felt like it became very real for me in that scene because of how that, that the how beautiful the animation was and how convincing it was how old were you when you saw that 
Uh, I was, oh man, I want to say I was maybe like 15 okay. when I saw Akira. Wow. Like, because, you know, when I saw OVAs, I saw like multiple OVAs and then like someone was like, dude, you gotta watch Akira. Uh, it was a long discussion about it in this comic shop. And then I... I, I, I saw it in a store physically from Streamline Pictures. And I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. And no one warned me about that scene. Like, no one said anything to me. And I was just like, what the fuck? And then, of course, Sci-Fi Channel started showing it. And, like, I had, like, like PTSD almost because I was just like, oh, my God, that scene is so crazy. So I would watch the movie up to that point, like, right when – you know he's kneeling down, yes, and like feeling like the initial parts of the tra- transformation, and then like that mass just like dumps on the ground, yeah. like that was the yeah. be- that was the moment where I was like, oh my god, I-, I was not ready for this, like, and it just it felt so real, like I didn't I didn't just go, oh that's just animation that's really involving. I was like, no, that's real. James, I gotta ask you is is this the source? of your uh, phobia of, of babies. Uh, oh my gosh. You know, it, it, comes it from. might be. It might We're be. We're going deep actually. today. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Like, I was thinking I didn't the realize. same thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I think that might have been the genesis of my 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 um, tryptophobia, like, in a weird way. Like, I think that might have been, because that was the first time I, I saw something that literally I, like, paused it, and I was like, I, can I watch this? Like, can I, and I had seen Ninja Scroll, I had seen um, Angel Cop, I had seen all this other stuff before, and that stuff was fine, I was like, okay, this is cool, but like, when I got to that scene, I was like, holy shit, like, I, I, I almost felt like my body was doing the same thing, it was a really weird, like, visceral uh, experience for me, but it's a testament to his animation, like, uh, you know, Tanaka was just a beast. Like, yeah. like that you can make you feel things you didn't know you could feel. I mean, that's the power of anime. Yeah, let's let's get get back to the uh, fluximation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, Jesse, you you were talking about yeah, uh, uh, Tatsuki Tanaka, like his animation on that. Very right? convincing, like yeah. beyond what uh, Arc System Works did for video games. And oh wow, yeah, yeah. This is a lot. You know, um, I, yeah, I, I, I want to point out. So, so Studio Four C. So, when we're talking about OVAs, like the golden age would have been the '80s and '90s, because that that's when, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, like they were just selling really well. You could charge a lot of money for them. Uh, it wasn't competing with like, uh, you know, you couldn't just find them on the internet. Uh, and then I think. Around the 2000s, I feel like Studio 4C was really like keeping that spirit alive, right? Uh, OVAs were kind of on their way out, um, and and I think anime was starting to get more like uh, niche and specialized, and like you know stuff that might have been OVAs would become like late night anime or stuff for cable, but Studio 4C still continued to put out like you know OVAs, proper OVAs with weird I, stuff I, I don't know about you Richmond. i remember i feel like like mind game and tech on tencrete was like a big deal when it came out too. well they are I, they they are um those are films though so i don't i don't want to go too deep into those because 
that, that's like that, they they were a big deal. And Studio 4C also worked on like Spriggan. They worked on um, mm-hmm. a, a, you know Akira essentially. Um, but I, I I just want to say like for OVAs. Um, so so I think what's interesting is uh, Jesse, you mentioned uh, Genius Party, right? And yes. I'm I'm kind of cheating here because that's technically like an omnibus. It did come out in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also very much like OVA in spirit, you know, like 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 Neo Tokyo uh, before it, and um, and and I I actually went to the premiere of that. That was actually that premiered in the U.S. That premiered at the I Kennedy met, Center. I uh, met I met uh, Watanabe uh, Chinichiro Watanabe at the Toronto Animation Film Festival, oh, where nice. he where wow. he was showing uh, Shanghai Dragon. And that was the guy was. This guy was just really cool. He probably jet lagged, but you know he just came back from like going to a music store and picking up some uh, jazz records. And but you know, dude was just <laughs> fine. You know, really, he, really fine about that. Yeah, Watanabe. Like I, I, I got to meet him briefly too. Like I, he was so nice because, um, wow. he, I think he spoke some English, so he was more ready to talk to his fans and stuff. And you know, by then everyone was like, oh, that's the Cowboy Bebop director, and. He was like, he was like looking at people's sketchbooks, signing stuff, giving them like tips. It, it was really sweet guy, really amazing. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I so I wanted to just circle back on something you said earlier about how it, it was almost like xenophobia preventing this stuff from catching on, because with Genius Party they were really trying to make a push internationally, right? Because they they yeah. toured North America with that, you know. Uh, Did they and, tour uh, Europe with that as well? They they must have because you, Europe definitely got like the, a proper DVD release, which I don't know if North America ever did, uh, which is crazy because those shorts were so good, and yet very few people reported on it. You know, very little mm-hmm. press showed up to the premiere, even though they went all out. It was the Kennedy Center, right? Like really prestigious uh, venue. But there was like no no press there. It barely made the papers, and like no one picked it up for distribution. And it's just like so fucked up because wow. you watch these shorts and they're incredible. And it's like how how do you miss out on that, right? It's, I mean, did they use Akira in the marketing? I don't even remember if they did. I yeah, I don't know. Maybe if they had said like from the creators of Akira and and and, and Cowboy Bebop and. Uh, you know, even if they said Bebop, Bebop was just on its way up, right? Like, that's not something that a Washington Post writer would have known back then. They would have known Akira, but they'd be like, I don't, what the hell's Bebop? That's like something on Adult Swim? What's what's Adult Swim? That's some weird thing that just came out, right? Like, it, it's just really unfortunate because if you go into it with just a clear mind, it's just incredible cinema. You don't even need to be an animation fan. But I think because it was anime, there was a stigma back then. So people just didn't cover it. They were like, ah, it's anime. You know, just let, well, let the I would like to say that there still it. is that stigma, but Absolutely. it's just that everybody mm. else stopped caring about it. Yep. Mm. Well, that's yeah. true, right? Yeah. 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 It still exists, yeah. but it just doesn't do anything yeah. anymore. 
Yeah, I, I've I recently just showed my uh, my girlfriend Cowboy Bebop like the, in this in the past year that we've been dating, she'd never seen it and on and other just animated classics and things like of this nature. But like, yeah, for a long time she'd kind of not really been interested in animated things specifically, kind of because of the fact that like they didn't really appeal to her and they she couldn't really like, connect with them. But I showed her a few things and she's like, oh wait, I actually do really like this. Or oh, that character really is interesting. Or the situation, it's really quite um, it's quite interesting watching it unravel. Like we got into watching like death note together and like a few other just really cool shows and different things that we've been enjoying together and i think that that stigma once sort of like confronted and once sort of i guess spoken to it definitely can be like worked with and like broken but like it just takes a bit of time i suppose for some people but it, it's unfortunate i think that people miss out often on things specifically because of their lack of familiar, familiarity with something not the military but like then they're not really able to sort of i guess like connect with something as easily just because of the fact that it is just different to what they watch normally or what they like normally i think it's just really um it's, it's really it's really strange the way that these things work out i guess but i mean yeah like it's 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 sad it's it's uh, it's quite sad to think about the the ways that people can miss out yeah and that's the thing. I, I feel like a lot of anime, <clears throat> it has way more appeal than just what you would, you know, people say like, oh, it's, a, it's for weebs or whatever. It's like a lot of this stuff just has pretty broad appeal. You just have to just have a curiosity for like weird stories, right? Like, like you just have I mean, to like film. weird stories, uh, Studio Ghibli has oh, universal course. appeal because they just oh, don't yeah. treat their audience as lesser than. They just respect that they, they're they just have a, a wholesome respect for their audience that they'll be able to understand mm. this, absorb it. Uh, I mean, they're not necessarily lecturing or anything, but they're just presenting the stories as is. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, which also, you know, made room for Makoto Shinkai to come in with his brand on, uh, on small romantic stories and wholesome themes and all that fun stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. Sean just pointed out. Apparently, Genius Party did come out on Blu-ray. Oh, a couple it years did. ago. In 2019, I just found. I did not know this. I actually, I actually am legitimately going to buy this Blu-ray right now. Oh, G Kids. Uh, oh, I love G Kids. Oh, let's. We we got to take some time to give them some props. G Kids brings out so much great anime. They 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 have such a well curated selection they're like the criterion collection of modern anime i think hmm. that's high praise huh. yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, there's a oh it looks like the the so the blu-ray is an, an anthology of the uh genius party beyond as well but uh so real real quick i just wanted to mention so like i, I know like most things i don't know about y'all but i own like most movies nowadays on uh just like digital but um Blu-ray still has some of the highest quality that you can get out of out of a delivery medium. And I actually remember when it came out, like I, I remember seeing something like Pirates of the Caribbean, except that what you know, obviously it was shot before Blu-ray. And it looked like almost like bad. Like it just like it looked like uh like live action kind of looks like a, a reenactment or something, but animation looks insanely oh, no. good. It always looks Blu-ray. great. It's so worth it. If, if there's stuff you like to still get it on Blu-ray, like this is basically why I still have a PS4. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 You know what puts out pretty, pretty great uh, transfers of stuff is uh discotech media. 
they they recently did a remaster for Project Echo and uh, Angel Cop and some other uh, classic anime titles. I, I think they did one for Poco Rosso. I, I mean, I'm not 100% oh. sure on that. But uh, yeah, like they've been putting out stuff and it's like, it, it's amazing. It's almost like they literally have like the true master copy of like when everything was like put together. Um, so, I mean, that's another place where you can look up uh, pretty decent uh, Blu-rays for uh, a lot of classic anime. Wow, I'm just looking now. They've got like steel. There's like Kiki's delivery service in Nazca, the Valley of the Wind, like steel books here. There's like a bunch of interesting stuff. Damn. Uh, like... uh, G Kids, um, I, I think maybe Disney's uh, time with Ghibli is up because G Kids has uh, reissued, um, yeah, steel books. Really nice collections of all the Ghibli movies. But then on top of that, uh, they've, they've, they've been doing all of Yasa's movies. They officially released like, uh, you know, Ainu O and uh mind game right and then on 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 top of that um you know like we, we were just talking about they did uh a genius party and then they've also been re-releasing satoshi Kon's movies they just they, they got perfect blue you know they, oh, they, they have so I'd, much cool stuff i would say also if you're a fan of um uh kondo is there a way to get it in america like that's I actually got whisper of the heart from them yeah yeah. Which is actually one of my favorite Ghibli films, uh, for some reason. Yeah. Oh, it's such a sweet movie. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also um, shout out to them on the site. I've just seen sorry, but like for the first time ever for me, I've just seen the fact that they actually even like credited like the art for like the artist who made their art for like the welcome like page that like splashes up on the screen when you first click on it. Like yeah, it's um, some art by Juho Choi here. It's really nice beautiful piece of work yeah. but like yeah i've actually never seen a site do that before like just like credit the artist immediately underneath it's like it's really cool and like it's a link yeah. to like the actual portfolio site too so that's just really nice just as a thing yeah oh that's awesome oh that's respect for the artist yeah. that's so cool really, yeah really good uh, stuff. g kids they even they even put out uh they, they they put out like french animations too and, and irish ones like the um uh what is it uh secret of the kells nice and, uh, all those even some Chinese movies, they don't, they're, they're just any, any quality animation from all over the world that they can get their hands on. They'll, they'll, they'll put it out. They reissued a uh, future boy Conan. That, that's oh, a great, nice. it's a okay. classic. Yeah. Super dope. Yeah. Damn. I got to get on, I got to get on here some more for real. Cause they, there's some really good stuff here that I'm just looking at and I'm like, yeah. damn, this is cool. So I, you know, yeah, like, like, I, I think part of the we're talking about like this stuff's out there. People just don't know. And I think maybe the other part of the problem is that the internet is so uh fractured and mm -hmm. like you know, like um everything is just social media now. So unless your friends are talking about it, you're not gonna hear about it unless you're yeah. super actively looking. Cause the thing is like a lot of the major uh, websites now—they're—they're they're just mouthpieces for for a couple, you know, huge uh, corporations. So, like, yeah, you're not going to hear about like smaller releases, right? Like, like uh, so, someone just recently mentioned, like, part of the reason why you know everyone's always saying like, oh, it's only Marvel movies out in theaters. No one's no one's watching anything else. And someone pointed out part of the reason is that in the past, like. People would just read movie reviews in a newspaper, and they would just cover everything. And then 
especially older people um, who aren't, you know, terminally online like us, like they'd be like, oh, that looks neat. I'll go see that. Uh, but now like newspapers are dead. <laughs> They're dead. And then there's no replacement because now it's like, oh, well, you want anime reviews? You go here, right? You want to hear about, you know, uh, uh, foreign quote unquote movies. Like you go to this other specialty site and then otherwise it's just blockbusters. So just I, everything's spread I, out. I would it's say um, actually a, a, a good way to get away from that stuff is to follow like more individual creators on sites like Patreon. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Who, who else that. has a Patreon? <laughs> because, you know, uh, we, we have a Patreon, Sean. Yes. So, so to everyone listening, <laughs> um, sorry, Jesse, this is, we, <laughs> we always forget to plug our Patreon and it's like, someone always has to remind us, like we, we actually have a Patreon um it, it's uh, patreon.com slash art eater og um and uh, yeah if you like what we're doing you you can support us on there um it will help out because it does cost us money to like host the you know host the uh, podcasts and and to use uh, the various uh, uh programs that we use to record stuff so it'd be great if we could just like at least break even on this stuff um but you know hey if, if we can make some extra cash there we can start putting it into maybe higher production values for stuff, maybe even start getting into like video. I don't want to overpromise, but we, yeah, we, we, we have a lot of cool stuff we want to do. And I, and I, I do, I did mean that as like legitimately, I think sites like, like Patreon um, or, or like, I mean, even to some degree, like YouTube, even though uh, they're Google, right? Like those are actually, I think, allowing people to get away from just relying on social media to surface things for them. Um, I feel like every day I stumble on a creator that's that's doing like really cool work. Like I'll I'll see an insanely good video essay, or I'll I'll see music online, and then they'll thank all of their patreons, and I'll be like, oh, and like so, I I I'd say like the outside of ours, like it is legitimately good way to go find new stuff. Um, but I don't know. I think something they say like in marketing is like a hundred percent of the people that don't know about your thing won't won't watch it or won't see it. <laughs> and I, I think yeah. that, that to your point, that that is a struggle. That's why so much marketing is impression based is everyone's just paying so much money to try to get in front of people. But I also think for listeners, like it, it is possible if you, if you can kind of curate and seek out um, creators that are, <clears throat> that are reporting on or are paying attention to stuff. And that there, there is a, there is a positive angle to it. You can find people that are really, uh, doing god's work as it were uh, honestly i mean that was a big part of our in, in our motivation for starting art eater in the first place right it was like well we talk about this stuff with each other but like we we want to put it out there for others because like I, i'm not reading or seeing stuff from other people really discussing this stuff right it's not yeah. not very common so so it's you know it's it's great to be able to talk with you all every every week about this stuff no i love it I love it. Yeah. Well, one thing I just wanted to plug as well, just very quickly. Shout out to my friend who runs Paddy's Books. Like Paddy's Books at Big Cartel, like they are like a godsend. They're a, they're a store 
that allows for people to buy art books from different places and specifically from Japan as well. And you can finally sort of like access things for a little bit cheaper than you would be able to normally. So get your butt over to Paddy's Books too. Like they've got really, really good um, customer service, really, really nice uh, production, obviously with respect to <coughs> shipping and making sure that everything goes well, goes to plan. You'll get your books super safely and stuff. But yeah, like I was just mentioning this now because we were just talking about like art books recently and stuff. And like literally I'm just looking at like different works, like different Otomo works, like some Shin Ultraman, like design works books and Berserk movie art books, illustration books from different artists like Toshiaki Takayama, just like all different kinds of people here. And I'm just thinking to myself now, like this is so, we, we just have such a wealth at our fingertips, you know, we have so many things that we can just so easily like tap into now. And honestly, I think that we should not not specifically like hoard things but we should allow for the facilitation the spread of that information to be easier i want for more people to mm-hmm. be able to experience this art to be able to experience these moments that you know we hold so dear and close to us like for example like as Jesse was talking about before, like so much of the fun and the work that she was doing when she was a kid, like that's a huge, you know, shaping part of that foundational understanding, like of art itself, and it makes you link things to, you know, fun, enjoyment, positive emotions. But also, you're inspired, you're intrigued, and you want to continue to facilitate the creation of more art yourself. You want to get into drawing, you'll try and get into these different cool AMVs that are online, or that that you might just find in the world, or that someone might import. Like, there are so many really beautiful things out here that are just, you know a click away and i think that just sometimes positing it in a in a you can do it you can find this thing way it's really helpful so shout out to paddy's books also they helped me find um for the full metal alchemist uh, art book and i really needed help finding it because it was sold out everywhere else in the uk but this one place and they helped me find it so shout out to them for that one as well but yeah like just really 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 cool stuff they're also on twitter you could find them at paddy's books over there but you'll find some really cool uh, some really cool people over there and they've got they've got a bunch of stuff we've got a bunch of books that you might not find elsewhere so this isn't like a paid plug or anything i'm just really grateful for the the site existing (laughs) yeah Yeah. that was not planned adam's just always very smooth (laughs) with his delivery (laughs) like that 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 was a great plug totally uh impromptu uh that that's patty's books p-a-d-d-y right Mm p-a-d-d-y-s yeah we'll we'll post it on on twitter later uh dude which which we're also going to try to get better at because we have all the little little nuggets in the episodes and we used yeah. to like post them, and then I got lazy. <clears throat> yeah, there's so much with stuff on Adam. It's crazy. Whatever, whichever way you Adam, do, I get. Yeah. I I, I got to thank you huh? because I I just saw a book on Patty's books. I didn't even know this existed. It was the uh, uh, the 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 art of um, illustrator that goes by Mada Yoshi, and uh, they're just someone I follow on Twitter. Like I just mm-hmm. enjoy their work on Twitter once in a while. I had no idea they had an art book out. Like, mm-hmm. they don't even promote their own art book <laughs> you know like I had to Telling you. randomly hear that that's so cool wow they, they have yeah. a really nicely curated selection here it's not like oh they have everything it's like no like they have a lot of stuff and it's it's all really interesting yeah, I'm telling you, Paddy's books is like the secret sauce. It's like the juice. Like it's it's oh, a totally. it's the secret menu stuff yeah. for real. Like, you'll find some wonderful stuff on here. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna be emptying my wallet a bit on here. Uh, yeah. I, I I've seen at least three or four like different books that like I'm buying tonight. So yeah, if, if this is a testament to just. Like, I'm literally, like, I just put in, like, you know, random artist, whatever, and I'm just searching, and I'm seeing, like, incredible stuff here. So definitely check this site out. Um, 
it, it's definitely worth your money. There's a there's some gems on here. Oh my god! I did. There's a Hisashi Iguchi Animation Works book. I didn't know <gasps> yeah. this existed. What? Oh I'm this telling you. This episode is now about our. Podcast. Okay, I'm spending <laughs> a few paychecks on this book. Yeah, this is a. <laughs> I did not know this was. I need. I oh. Yeah, we, we, we got to say this. we. We've got to say thank yeah. you on, on Twitter for real, but everybody for real, like, definitely check them out. That's just like at P-A-D-D-Y-S-B-O-O-K-S on Twitter. Like they're absolutely fantastic. Like, and plus like, honestly, it's one of these things, which as you were just talking about before, you'll find things that you didn't even know like existed. It's so strange because there's this kind of, there's this weird sort of like disconnect. And Jesse, I'm sure you may have seen this before too. Like the people that we work with and that we see, so often they put out work obviously for the products that they're on and like they'll, they'll actively show it at the end of the the process of like creating something you'll see on like for example on like art station they'll see like big art dumps of people's you know work when it's finally able to be shown to like the public and stuff like that but especially for people's personal work like they don't often talk about it too much or they don't show it off as much or if they put out like a book or something they might not be too sort of like oh hey everyone go buy this thing or everyone go check it out and sometimes work from some of your favorite artists you could just fly underneath the radar so i mean like yeah definitely definitely try and find out as much as you can about your favorite people online because like the work that they put out like honestly like it's beautiful it's fantastic and sometimes it can just completely pass you by and it'll just happen like that it's it's a bit strange you can see someone just just pumping out just absolutely stellar pieces amazing work doing great writing or making great music or whatever and you can just never find out about it it's just it's just wild yeah yeah i just found a toshihiro kawamoto book that i did not know existed and i have all of them or at least i thought i did until now um yeah this site this site is definitely the truth man um there's a lot of really good stuff on here. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, like, you know, it, it inspired a generation and it'll continue to inspire more. And it's also a good place for people that are just appreciators of art as well. Like, if you have a favorite artist that you just want to, like, admire their work, uh, there's, there's plenty of books on here to choose from. So, uh, yeah, I am definitely in love with this site, like, already. Like... I, I mean, I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm a huge fan of Bengus, but Kawamoto is also one of those people that I just kind of live and die by. So, uh, yeah, just the fact that I found a new book that uh, I did not know existed with his work, like, I definitely have to, uh, got to snatch some stuff up on here. I, oh gosh. Yeah, there's so much good stuff. We definitely got to revisit all this stuff on the podcast. Like, I, I, yeah. I just realized, like, I don't think we've ever just dedicated a whole podcast to, like, our favorite artists. It's like, hey, like, you know, let's just do I'll one on Kawamoto. Let's do one on, oh, uh, you dude. know, Tatsuki yeah. Tanaka. I, I think, like, unfortunately, we've oh, only yeah. talked about individual artists once they've passed away. Um, yeah. Like yeah, no, yeah. we got to get on. We got to celebrate them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, flowers rather here, uh, Jesse, do you think would you be interested in coming back for God? You know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's let's do awesome. it. Okay, I think. Um, that, yeah. yeah, I think we've been recording for over an hour so far. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Possibly closing yeah, time, on two. Time, um, time flies. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Um, I yeah. Let's let's wrap stuff up for today. But um, I had so much fun. It'd be super cool. 
uh, Jesse, if you could come back, we could keep talking about OVAs and just cool art in general. And uh, oh, I'd, I'd love to actually just do do one uh, talking about your experiences working in you know comics and games and, and uh, animation and all too. that definitely. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about it because uh, I got a couple stories, but it's. I don't know. It's nothing special per se because it's kind of happened to everybody at some point in their careers, but mm. um, but not everybody gets to work on comics um soon after graduating high school. Uh, yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> uh, I guess okay. I'll just go into it now. Then I graduated oh, yeah, high school like six months earlier, and uh, I just found myself with a whole bunch of time and no real way to spend it because I wasn't quite sure what to do. So I was looking in newspapers, trying to find a job. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, this isn't doing it for me. Then, and then there's this place called Sunscript Studios that saw my work and decided to bring me on as a flatter uh, for um, uh, a title nobody probably might have heard of at Image called Rotogen. And uh, I was flatting for a couple issues and then they had me doing colors for a book on issue four but that never actually uh panned out because image never paid us and it never got published oh no oh by whoa. then i was already w w in my first year of college so it's like well okay well shit all right that's nice oh my god wow yeah not getting paid is is a uh, is a thing in comics that oh, i yeah. had to yeah had to deal with a lot. It was a bitter pill to swallow. But also, I was at school at the same time, so it's like I was trying to get work experience and get educated. And but uh, yeah, it was one too many, one too many energy drinks. Let's just say. Um, then when I finally graduated, I um, the penciler on Rotogen um, pinged me on email, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm working on this new book called Neozoic for Red Five Comics." Would you, do you want it in? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Hell yeah. Sign me up. And uh, within the first couple of hours of setting down my moving boxes, because I just moved, uh, graduated and moved back home, I was already like co flatting, coloring. Well, I say coloring, but it's actually painting and then doing VFX on this book for roughly four, 11 to 14 days, six to 16 to 20 hours straight plus the cover, just to get this book out the door. And uh, it was the first book I that managed to have my name on the cover, my last name on the cover, which was pretty big. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and I started, and I kept doing that for a couple more years. And that was literally my time in comics. Uh, sometimes it would be punches on the side. Some uh, Somebody would hear that I did a thing once and would like to collab on a thing, which is also how I found myself with Mark Andrew Smith when he pinged me for um, New Brighton Archaeological Society and Gladstone School for World Conquerors. Those are really long titles, but I'm glad I remember them. Um, but in the meantime, my old boss, who, who uh, I worked with in comics, uh, he kind of felt bad that, you know, that venture didn't exactly go through he pivoted to doing live action commercials and music uh, videos and that was when I started doing live action storyboards which was really really cool but I never got to go on set which made me very very sad because I kind of hmm. wanted to know what it was like you know being on set 
but uh, the shoots never really lasted very long. It was just either a couple of days or a couple of weeks. So uh, for me, when I was when I was storyboarding, I was just doing it on a bunch of stick notes and rearranging them as needed um, based on a shot list that my boss gave oh, me. Oh, wow. So I was Whoa. just problem-solving things because people already kind of planned their shots in advance. They just weren't sure where to place the camera in a very consistent manner. So my animation training did kick in, but it's just that everything did feel a little bit ass-backwards because you're supposed to storyboard this stuff before you shoot. But this yeah. is the world we live in. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I would be problem-solving a lot of the logistical issues for camera angles and framing and then, uh, and then firing them off um, for early ass meetings at 9 a.m. Because the one time I was asked to work on a Nelly Furtado music video, it was around three or four in the morning that I was emailed in real time. And then I had a G-chat about uh, doing this stuff. And I got sent the shot list and I did it very, and then I did the boards very, very, quickly and then i then months later i got to see the final product and it was pretty close to the boards that's it's like it's a huge honor you know like when your boards are close to the final product it's just a show respect by the the, the director that they they appreciate your work and your problem solving mm. so uh wow. that was that that was a highlight for me um commercial storyboarding was also just a lot of product placement but the clients never really wanted to like uh, do storyboards in full like you would feature animation where you spell out the entire shot. You uh, basically have like secondary poses and all that fun stuff. They didn't want any of that. They wanted story beats because they were paying by the board, which meant they were being cheap. So they only paid me like 60 oh. bucks a board. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, cool. Well, just have these six panels. We all felt Boom, that in done. our heart. <laughs> Ugh. Boom, done. And they were so yeah. fast. And it's like, so, yeah, so, so between doing comics and live action storyboards, it was just a blur, a blur of work. And uh, I was like, you know what, this is great and all, but I'm kind of getting tired of waking, waiting 90 days for my check uh, to come in, you know? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that pain. Me no likey. Yeah. So I ended up in video games um, because of that, because they offered an actual salary. They offered benefits, which comics still to this very day do not offer. What is wrong with you guys? You should unionize if you can. Hmm. But Oof. but totally unionize. But anyways, but um, oh, gosh, I went back to school for a whole year to learn game art and animation at Seneca. And um, let's see. When I graduated, I, I basically did this co-op at Bedlam Games for a couple of months, and then they had me for a whole year afterwards because they noticed all of the work that I did in comics and went, hey, we could use Zing that, uh, for we're like a prequel comic for the Lost Girl TV series, and <gasps> which turned into oh, wow. an interactive motion comic, see prequel for the actual show itself that would <sighs> come online before each episode airs. So that oh, was fun. Okay. Oh wow! So I got a so I got a basically a double dose of game development and transmedia all within my first year of working in games, which was weird as hell. So and then since then, um, I've been working in mobile. I've worked in indie. I worked in small studio spaces. I worked in uh, hidden object games. Uh, 
And then eventually I found myself at EA and then Bandai Namco and then the Coalition working on cinematic storyboards for Gears of War 5. God, that was such a fun job. It was only six months, but um, I had a blast uh, working on it. And it was just, I got to focus on doing one thing. I was able to collaborate with the level artist, the level designer, the writer, um, tech artist, um, and also my cinematic director, uh, Greg Mitchell, who is fantastic dude to work with. And uh, yeah, I mean, there weren't a lot of action scenes because they were already kind of boarded and prevised out, which meant I was given the whole bulk of conversations, which meant acting. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I, I like acting, let's, let's, let's do this. And I was in a very uh, burnt out time in my life, so I put all of that emotion into the boards. And then what, turned, what ended up happening was the boards made two grown men on set cry, and they were the performance capture actors for oh, wow. uh, Marcus and JD. <laughs> Wow, that's wow. so much more impressive because it's on Gears of War. <laughs> well, that's I didn't know about cheap. that until my uh, until Greg told me about it, my boss, and I was like, "Whoa, what? Okay, cool. That's a that's a hmm. that's a career highlight." <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, that's awesome. awesome that they, they appreciated uh, yeah, was, your work. Yeah, uh, it, I I learned a lot, and it was just a fantastic experience. Um, and then after that, I worked on Invincible for a couple of yeah. years. Uh, it was, I first started off doing storyboard revisions and then I did uh, some design work as well, which is kind of like under underselling it because I was actually doing a whole bunch of different stuff. I was doing checking, I was doing uh, action notes. Uh, I filled in for a fight sequence that no one was able to board. It made it into the show, but it was cut in half. But hey, my boards made it into the show. Yay. Awesome. But anyways, um, and then after that, I was put on design because there weren't enough people on design. So I was doing 3D models. I was doing background layouts. I was doing uh, paints, uh, painted backgrounds. Um, gosh, I also did a projection shot. Uh, in episode five, which was really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I it was just mostly supporting the team however I could with my art generalist uh, skill set. And then after that came uh, COVID. And then um, after a year of freelancing, um, during the time where I did some key art for Labrat and uh, some cinematic storyboards for The Long Dark, episode four, Fury, then silence. Oh, wow. And then after that, immediately after that, I uh, joined Brassline Entertainment to work on a video game with an wow. anime aesthetic. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice. Like, can, yeah. can you talk about like what game it was? or uh, The Long Dark? Oh, that's, that's the name of the game? Yes. Yes, that's the yeah. name of the game. The Long Dark by the Hinterlands. Yeah, that's quite popular. Like, it's, it's rad. Yeah. That's, that's really really cool. Gosh, yeah, I was just gonna say shout out to, to Brassline as well. Like I remember seeing 
different bits and pieces about like the formulation of the studio itself but also just like the idea of really trying to focus on like creating those original like universes but also at the same time having like a really specifically like diverse like idealism like attached to that like really wanting specifically to have these stories not just like created by but also told specifically by people like of color but told by people across a varying section of different places around the world just like it's really really cool to just like see that and to have like a studio actively trying to like change this area of like our current like games landscape it's something that i in future actually would like to do like myself in terms of my sort of like wider career so it's just really cool to see someone else like involved within that and stuff so if you can give them all a big like a big shout out from me i guess because that's really cool just as a thing to see happening it's very inspirational so I'd shout out to all of to. you for doing that yeah, yeah. um i well, personally, I think this is the highest concentration of um, by POC game veterans in my entire career, and this includes the coalition, um, because they also like hired a lot of diverse talent, and they also had women in leadership positions. Here, yeah, it's just it's this is the first time seeing um, like this many people uh, who aren't all white. I guess, but mm -hmm. they basically had like 10 plus years in the industry already. So it's like, wow. But we also have a mix of like old blood and new blood. So it's, it's really, it's a really exciting time, but also it's kind of scary because like, we're trying very hard not to think about the fact that we got to be perfect coming out of the gate because yes. there's always like expectations and projections and all that, but we're just trying to like vibe out and have fun and just really really hone our craft and uh concentrate on making a really good experience but that's all i'm gonna say because yeah it's uh you know no of course of oh, course NDAs. Just, it, absolutely absolutely but it, it's just it's just so good to see and like of course like trying um when when people try to sort of like project the idea of like excellence and nothing but like it's it's it becomes like kind of not just pressurizing but also at the same time it can just make it seem as if like everything has to be one way you know and like as you mentioned there like yeah like people can make absolutely anything and nothing has to it doesn't have to be perfect out the gate as you said so well there so just i'm really i'm very happy to see all of this and just again wishing all of you the best of luck in uh, in your developments and endeavors there so that's awesome i'll definitely pass the message on and thank you so much for your support now always always it's really cool but i'm gonna throw the i'm gonna throw the podcast football over to richmond i'm not gonna i'm not gonna kick it even though i'm, uh, I'm english but uh, yeah richmond close the time, <laughs> tell us what we're doing okay all right all right um yeah uh, uh gosh uh, uh first off jesse thanks thanks for being on the show um yeah really really happy to have you on here and uh, i had so much looking... fun i'd love to do this again yes we'll make that happen for sure oh, for sure and uh, yeah, thanks everyone for just yeah hanging out every week. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you, uh, dear listeners. Thanks for listening to the Art Eater podcast. Um, yeah, if you enjoy the podcast, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. If you want to know when uh, the new podcasts come out, that's the best place to find out. Uh, go to Twitter. You can follow us at Art Eater Podcast, A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R -E -E Podcast. Um, and if you want to catch up on the uh, old podcasts that we've already put out, you can go to our website. That's art-eater.com slash podcast. Uh, you can find every uh, single session uh, we've ever recorded is up there. Um, yeah. And then uh, let's see, uh, you can support us on Patreon. 
at uh, patreon.com slash art eater uh, OG. Um, uh, well, it's uh, we 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 need to do some spring cleaning there too. Um, I I need to specifically clean up the Patreon, get it up to date. But um, essentially, if you support us on there, you're you're supporting the podcast and the website, and uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. And then if you um, want to follow along with what I'm up to, uh, my name's Richmond. You can follow me on Twitter at Richmond, R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore L-E-E. That's Richmond Lee. Um, yeah, uh, feel free to say hi. You know, let us know how we're doing on the podcast or uh, if you want to talk about cool art and stuff, uh, hit me up on there. And uh, just so you know, I do. Uh, I run my own game studio out, out in, in Thailand a lot. A lot. And, uh, you know, actually, James just joined us, which is super awesome. We've been having an awesome time out here. Um, <laughs> my, our, our company is called BitEgg, um, and uh, we're working on a game called uh, Zeka Tactics right now. It's a mecha strategy game, a mecha RPG strategy game with a strong anime aesthetic, very much inspired by the, you know, a lot of the OVAs we discussed today. Like, we, we've been studying the heck out of you know, uh, like AFMS team and uh, Votoms and, and just lots of the classics and lots of new stuff too. Um, so yeah, if that's that's your bag, look up uh, look up Zeka Tactics Z E C H A uh, Zeka Tactics dot com. Um, yeah, and uh, oh, you can you know you can follow um, follow Zeka Tactics on Twitter as well. That's the best place to stay updated there. Um, and I'll, I'll let y'all know when we finally actually have uh, something on Steam that you can wishlist. Uh, but for now, best thing you can do is uh, sign up for a newsletter. That actually uh, really does help. And uh, you know, we we don't we're, we're not going to spam you. We'll just give you some updates, maybe like once once a month or so. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm up to. Uh, everyone, please let our listeners know you know who you are, how to follow along, and like just what 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 awesome stuff are you guys up to. Hey, I'm Sean. I'm usually here. I edit the podcast. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dvorsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Uh, I've been kind of mentioning it last few episodes, but uh, I've been spending a lot of my time doing uh, mentoring right now on a site called uh, adplist.org. Um, it's honestly probably easier to just go there and just search for my name, Sean Borsky, but you can also go to adplist.org backslash mentors backslash Sean Dash Borsky, uh, or go to my Twitter and click into it. <clears throat> but it's a free website for design products, engineering leaders. So if you're looking to get into the game industry or uh, have portfolio reviews or just uh, honestly, like the, the people I talk to have all sorts of things. Some people just want to talk about cool things. Some people want to get feedback. Some people want to practice interviews. Um, so even if you don't talk to me, I think it's a really great site. Again, it's totally free, both directions. Both directions meaning, like, the site is not charging mentors or mentees to do it. Uh, the only thing they ask is that, uh, you know, you show up <laughs> when you schedule sessions for people because they're giving their time and stuff. So uh, check me out on there. Um, otherwise, again, I'm a, I'm a UI, UX guy mainly, UX director, creative director. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you're mostly going to hear about PC gaming because uh, – I lead design teams at NDXT. We make PC gaming hardware. Um, so that's, that is me, and uh, I will start talking about it more, but I also have a book that will be coming out this year. So I'm going to – it is about mobile design, 
<clears throat> so not surprisingly UI UX stuff, but uh, the philosophy around mobile design. So I will start talking about that more. And that is me. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is James Stanley, the resident fighting game expert again at Art Eater. Um, I have found myself spending uh, more and less time on Twitter since I've moved to Thailand, uh, if that makes uh, any sense. Uh, I've been kind of just getting adjusted to uh, living here and uh, enjoying all the wonderful food here and uh, just doing a lot of great work uh, at BidEgg. But um, if you do want to follow me for my work uh, on my own personal projects, um, Twitter is probably the best place for that. Uh, my Twitter handle is BeefyKunoichi. That is B-E-E-F-Y underscore K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. Um, if you're into 80s, 90s anime, OVAs, um, Capcom, uh, and how those influences affect my work, and uh, my random rants about music and art and uh, all things related to my uh, personal project, Part-Time Shuffle, uh, Twitter is a good place to go. Um, I also want to recommend uh, my Patreon. Uh, I actually uh, do tutorials there. Um, if you want some more in-depth, uh, I guess, introspection on uh, my approach to my art and the projects that I'm working on that I actually can talk about, um, you can follow me on Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash beefy kunoichi. There's no underscore. Um, but other than that, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Oh my goodness, what an episode this has been. I've had such a massive, I've had such a massive smile on my face. I just can't get it off right now. I'm trying to read out my outro, but I'm going to have to do it. So, with everyone, it's Adam. Pleased to be here once again. It's your favorite game, level designer, pixel artist, and international taekwondo fighter. And as always, this was a very special one, and it was great to be back again with the crew. I go by Adrian on Twitter. You can find me over there at AJ Mattis. That's A A M A T T I S. I love to share and retweet all kinds of cool art and creative projects that I do see. If anyone wants slash or needs any pixel art related work or help, I'm always active and I'm and I am active at the moment. So if anyone wants to do, please get in touch. If you liked anything that I had to say, please do drop me a follow as well, so you can definitely hear some more of that. And honestly, like, this was just so so good. I'm very glad that we've been able to facilitate such good conversation, and we've had a great great time doing so. So do stay tuned for the next installment. Installment. And I'm going to pass it over onto our distinguished guest, Jesse Lamb. Tell us where you are, Jesse. And uh, nice to meet you again. Uh, you can find me on over at Twitter on AXL99 or on Instagram on uh, Jesse Lamb Workshop. That is J E S S I E L A M Workshop. And uh, I'll be basically posting art, uh, process vids, making some occasional, well, uh, always and good vibes and just mostly just being honest about everything that goes on in the process. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Also, oh, everybody, sorry, this sorry. Was... Oh. <laughs> one second, sorry, Jesse. Could you repeat the last like uh, 30 seconds of what you said? At least the recording uh, cut it off. I don't know why. Uh, sorry, sure. <laughs> Uh, but, but it was valuable okay. information, so I wanted to repeat. Go ahead. Yeah, um, you can find me the most often on Twitter, where I'll be sharing art, I'll be sharing process vids, uh, real but salty, and maybe the occasional spicy industry take, but mostly just a general overview of how 
uh, thing, how the process, how the sausage is made, uh, the process of how things go in both games and animation, but without breaking any NDAs. Uh, some reflections on pop culture and lots of anime and things that I like to share with everybody. Um, I just shared a list of some favorite uh, old anime films, so you can definitely check it out for the full list. So, and that's it for me. All right. Hey, awesome. I thought. Yeah. All right, all right everybody. Guys. We'll catch you all later. Oh, I'll, I'll hit up the outro music, but everybody, we'll catch you later. Stay safe. Take care. See you next time. I love you. Goodbye, everybody. Peace. Bye. Peace Bye. Outro music. Outro music. Outro music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>